So we're back, right. and uh, it's another week that's just a little bit less more crazy than the previous week was more crazy than the last. So, you know, there's that. So we've been talking a little bit about um, voter integrity and uh, racism, and so we're just going to kind of continue, because you folks well, deserve this conversation. Show. We had yeah. the pre-show with fucking Cuomo. So the Cuomo update is oh, he's got yes. another one. Yeah, we he is up to 10, now. but not 11. So he is uh, he is at an even Listen, uh, non number one. Listen, in New York, sexual assault violations are like Pokemon. You got to catch them all. Oh, like STDs. <laughs> oh man. Oh wait, no, it's STIs now. Whatever. <laughs> what the fucking Goomba? Indeed. <laughs> <sighs> what a that mook. Whatever. Whatever is. Uh... Whatever is politically correct, you can call those diseases. I'm okay with that. Right. Well, speaking of I diseases... Wouldn't, I wouldn't want anybody to be in, offended that it's a disease instead of an infection. Oh, and then uh, we can briefly recap, recap Spirit, and then we'll get immediately back to what Evan's been trying to start with. What's he been trying to start with? I wasn't really paying attention. The election attention. law thing. Oh, yeah, that's right. I just thought the Spirit thing was... It's, it's, very, it's very succinct because, like, it got rid of all the problems out of nowhere, and I didn't even see that until just now. Oh, yeah. I'm me. absolutely going to link that for everybody. Basically, what happened is a couple with their child was on a spirit uh, flight waiting to take off, and a uh, bothersome uh, flight attendant came over and was like, listen, you, you can't do this. Their child was eating, apparently, uh, to give we'll, the full we'll threat to the story. Well, there's, uh, there's an adequate amount of testosterone there for it to be a fellow, so. Uh, 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 a jolly red-haired, uh, you know. No, well, the hair was jolly. Oh, oh, you mean you mean the fellow? Yeah, the fellow that was yeah, with the, the child. I I thought you were talking about the high testosterone individual that told them that that was not acceptable. <laughs> No, 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 no. The person who told them that it was probably – I mean, I, I have a prediction that if we get to see this flight attendant, they will be a jolly fellow with uh, blue hair. Mm. And uh, a, 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 svelte, a svelte baritone. A svelte baritone. Uh, well, probably a jolly, a jolly, a jolly ma'am with a svelte baritone. More accurate than, uh, you, than you'd think, interject. actually. More accurate than you'd think that uh, that. I'll have to interject before you get to the, the good part of the story because there's something to, something to point out about Spirit Airlines which will immediately become reversed. Well, the long and short is this kid's having a snack because this family is just trying to get their kid to... Uh, child and it wants a goddamn snack. Yes, exactly that. So everybody's got their masks on. They're retarded, stupid masks that you don't actually need in a positive pressure environment, but whatever. They're wearing their... Uh, their masks, like uh, the, the good little people that they are. The child's having a snack. And then uh, this uh, high testosterone individual comes along and, you know, makes a real fuss, tells them they got to get off, and they do. So, uh, shortly thereafter. baritone lass with <coughs> Ma'am! <laughs> Still accurate. Still entirely accurate, actually. So, uh, so this uh, baritone lass, she... Uh, Sends them off the <laughs> off the plane. Filthy Everybody else gets them. Thank you very much. Yeah. Filthy. Yeah. We don't we don't want these people thinking that it is a rough baritone. It is a filthy. <laughs> it is a smooth baritone. Last the only time they go chopping in the woods. 
Sensitivity training. You know, you now, should you should on, treat yeah. these people with greater respect. We don't want to use the term able because that's ableist. So encouraged with significant amounts of force okay, and enough. prejudice and prejudice. Actually, all the prejudices. Well, I mean, I hope they, they, I hope they were screaming was, every ism in the book. I mean, this was actually violence on a minority if you really want to go all that far out. I mean, this was just a, just a yeah, Jewish couple. Minorities. I'm not letting that happen. Fuck that ageism shit. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, this, is a Jewish, uh, this is a Jewish family. You see. Given, given, so this given was actually that, quite anti-Semitic. The, the, the actual falling rates of fertility, I think that that's fair. I think that the children are a minority, and we should treat yeah, them. Yeah, but not for very long. Well, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how the uh, vaccine rollout goes, right? But I'm fine. It only takes one act of bigotry to ruin their whole life. Yeah, but what if I have multiple bigotries I want to express at once? Well, I mean, it's... Well, then, sir, perhaps I would recommend for you a job at American Airlines. Or Delta. You see... Uh, Delta. That, now, that's a good segue. That's a really good segue right into the, uh, uh-huh. the voting law. You see... Georgia just recently put into place a new uh, voter integrity law, which is literally voter integrity. As a matter of fact, it even expands voting access. makes it uh, a little bit easier for any given uh, municipality or county to, you know, make things easier to get into. You can get a free ID. Can they get a Dropbox? Yeah, yeah, they're able to have Dropboxes available. I am really curious, though. 
how is the voter ID law going to pair up with all the rest of this? What, you mean HR1 or what? No, no, like, I mean, how is how is voter ID going to pair up with mail-in voting? How are they going to pull that off? Oh, they just have to uh, provide a copy of it when they do the request. Not, uh, okay. not necessarily a copy. They can provide a copy. They can provide the last four of their social. They can provide so, some other thing, the and they can provide the actual ID number. So, so, so in short, in order to get your mail-in ballot, you have to go to a physical office no. where somebody no. physically verifies. Nope. No, no. But you have to mail it in under no, penalty of nice. perjury your ID so they know exactly who you are. Yeah, There's so a there, handshake that occurs before an election in that case. Yeah, okay. There, there is something to it. You don't like, have to uh, actually like, go in, though. Like absentee ballots in every other state. Basically. You know, not the mail-in, mass mail-in bullshit, but actual absentee system where you have to tell them, hey, I want one. Yeah, hey, I am me. I am at this address. Please send me the thing so that I can do the thing. And uh, since that time, there's been roughly 200 companies that have come out in support of this. And if I'm being honest, it's an entirely racist agenda. Not the voter ID law, mind you, that's that has no basis in race, racism, Semitism, anti-Semitism, uh, anti-white, pro-white. It has nothing to do with any of that, actually. It's just to ensure the integrity of the vote, to make sure that one vote uh, you mean like, is one vote. Like preserving the integrity of a basic civic action. Yeah, yeah, God forbid, to actually protect your extant human rights. In this case, a civil right more than a human right, but nonetheless, my point stands. The right of a country to have self-determination, I think. Yeah, absolutely, and as much as our transition between leaders, that'd be kind of cool too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it used to be that regicide was yeah, all the thing. Yeah, all this out, right? So, once this happened, uh, there's a number of things that occurred after this went through. Uh, we'll begin with the big, big one, which is MLB, uh, Major League uh, Bullshit. They decided that they're going to move out of Atlanta. Atlanta being the home of Hank Aaron. You, you may have heard of him if you've ever heard of the Bases Ball. Uh, he was a Bases Ball player. And uh, some people have heard of him, you know, maybe. And they were going to have the uh, All-Star Game in Atlanta in honor of his memory. But they decided that instead of having it in Atlanta where there's a, you know, a large population of, uh, well, not African Americans because they're not actually immigrants from Africa, but blacks because they're, you know, Americans that happen to be black. They decided to move it from there to uh, Colorado, where uh, Colorado has this pesky voter ID law. Goodness gracious. You'd think they'd do a little bit of research before they try and, you know, play around their, their, uh, The key to being a professional hypocrite is to ensure that you don't actually pay attention to whatever it is that you're doing. Yeah. That, I mean, that's they are really uh, by their own incompetence. Well, they really are knocking it out of the park, wouldn't you say? Uh, Come on, I had to. Uh, I'll give it to you. That was funny. Uh, I, I won't. It was. I won't. I'm sorry. Baseball, baseball are you saying that that was a foul, sir? Barely a sport. Ah, that one, I'm not giving you. Okay. Okay. That's my limit. But, I mean, to put this simply and to spell out my um, my argument on this whole thing in the easiest way of framing it, 
which it does have, you know, its downfalls, but it's an easy framing in the way that these people are saying this is a racist thing. It basically speaks to the idiocy of these people. To call this racist is to call into question the intelligence and ability of any person of color. If you say that it is racist for someone to acquire an ID, then you're saying that any black person is not smart enough to acquire an ID, or even in this case, to know so much as their last word of social. Before you specify any race, you're implying some sort of disparity that is inherent. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is, this is, is one of those things where there really isn't one. Voter ID laws have been something that's been debated for a really, really, really long time. You know, ever since I remember being in high school and I remember having this debate. <coughs> and even though I was, I considered myself progressive and liberal at the time, the truth of the matter is that the logic never underpinned there was never any real logic that I could buy into that was like anti-voter ID. And the arguments that they would always make is this very vague one where they, they somehow know that the majority of black – or there's a higher percentage of black people without a voter ID than there are white people, which will well, require a – what's that? ID in general. Well, I mean, either way, a voter acceptable ID, however you want to phrase it. But it, it always was very presumptive that they somehow had the data to know who had and did not have a voter ID, which the only way you'd actually be able to get that data is to, you know, basically have voter IDs. Or ask people. Well, I mean, or it works people. in the uh, the venerated yeah. European Union. Literally every country in the European Union has voter ID laws, but, you know, that... Canada that has a fucking voter ID law. Yeah, Kanukistan. Yeah. Even. And the Canuckies are the ones who've been the, the Toronto Canuckies have been shouting at the rafters about how racist it is, because of course. Well, I mean that is but Toronto. I've never like I mean when you start talking about how often you have to whip out your ID, ignoring ignoring alcohol, right? Which is a pretty obvious when you need it. You need it when you sign up for any major service. Right, ignoring forties and ignoring Phillies. Yep. You know, you're gonna need you need it you know to drive obviously mm-hmm. so so in order to, to do this you basically have to have people who aren't receiving any medical care who aren't going to work who aren't driving who aren't buying any I, boots or any I point something out here shortly though that's gonna make you foam at the mouth again uh, I don't think so I don't foam at the mouth yeah probably no more than normal yeah I mean it's... yeah lay it on us big man yeah, go ahead. All right, well, you know, how many of those things are A, government services, and B, that are guaranteed by the Constitution? <laughs> I mean, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't you know, matter. you make a valid point. What we need to do, we need to start mailing guns out to every citizen of legal age. You're absolutely right. I mean, the Second Amendment is very clear. So we should really just be mailing out a firearm to every American citizen. I think actually that would be a good thing, though. All right, absolutely. At the end of the day, Fuck like, the felons, too. Let them shoot themselves. While you can make the argument that civil services do not technically require a government ID, functioning as a normal human being in this century, you do. So yeah, I, I get that part. What I'm saying. Don't buy off on the poll tax argument. Yeah, but that is irrelevant, though. Because realistically, nobody is so self-sufficient that they aren't interacting with other human beings. Yeah, yeah, but there's a very big difference between. There's a very big difference between, say. Having an ID so you can go to a fucking bookie, for example, or, you know, in, in the other states, having an ID so you can go down to the liquor store, or having an ID so you can drive, which is explicitly not guaranteed in the Constitution. And they make damn well sure to nail that into your head 
at least until you get your ID and you forget about it and then bitch later when you get a ticket. Uh, but you are not – that is a privilege to drive on the road, not a right. And, and I understand <coughs> And voting is saying. a right, not a privilege. Oh, and I just a quick addendum to that, as a matter of fact, you can drive your car on your property, and they can't yes. do a damn thing about it. That is that is actually something I brought up when someone was complaining about like the vaccine shit. And it was, it's okay, buddy. Uh, if you don't, if you want, if you need everything to be safe before you go outside, then get off the fucking road, um, and uh, don't ever start your car again because that is a non-zero risk that you will kill someone, including yourself. Uh, and you don't have to have a license to do that because you can do it on your own property. Yeah, I mean, you can drink it, and drive to your heart's content on your own property. Again, yeah, again, drive right in your house. There's questions yeah, when it comes to the vaccines. It's about relative risk, right? Yeah, so anyway, so I, I do not foresee COVID as a risk, and therefore I don't. Without see getting in the weeds on that in yet again. Oh, come on, you brought it up. You decide to sit there and grandstand. I'm going to have to smack you down. It's okay. What do you mean? I, it's okay. That was that was explicitly an argument you would have fucking said. Get off my ass. No, 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 no. No, I would have gone into risk and relative risks associated with the two things. And yeah, that was my whole fucking point. And that was the exact point I made. But in any case, I, I just don't buy <laughs> off on the – I don't buy off on the, oh, my God, you know, this is this is a constitutional right versus a functional in society. Yeah, but it, you see, it, that doesn't matter because and when it comes to the law – it is it, it is an actual theoretical exercise, not just a pragmatic one. Uh, it, it, I disagree. It has it, it is a, it is necessarily so. You you still you still can't live within the United States without an ID, right? You, oh, you that's just a physically. You I mean, can. yeah, you, but they're not really going to have some and They're probably not voting. I mean, they're alive. Oh no, they're absolutely voting. We know who they vote for. They're voting well. in California at least. Okay. Aside from aside Look. from those cases, but the the point is they're not they're not most of the homeless people are in a in a very unique class, and it's not a it's not a huge proportion of the population. What is like, the at the end of, of this? Homeless? At the end of this, the most important thing here is to get United States citizens a more engaged and b uh, to be secure in their vote. And achieving both of those things or at least some modicum of a degree towards uh, the goal uh, is done by giving an idea sure everybody can be at least nominally uh, sure that only other people with an ID voted. At least then you've narrowed down so, the problem to so, who doesn't have a real ID and, who's, who's but, cheating. But again, you know, and I want to I put this into perspective. And you can so also know who wanna, else is going to vote prior to the election. That's less. That's that's about one in a thousand people, and I'm sorry, but I'm not going to turn around and be like, "Oh All yeah, right, what was the election one by?" Uh, like, how was it? It was less than a percent. Yeah, less than how much less than a percent? That much. How much less than a percent? Uh, I'm trying to remember the exact number. It, I, I don't remember how many the exact how many people supposedly voted. About 160,000, right? Well, uh, maybe, maybe we should not get into the how many people voted versus how many people were. I've had a long day. Give me a fucking break here. You're off by a factor of a thousand somewhere. <laughs> so let's just say that it was 25,000. Let's, let's give it 80,000 uh, votes that it was lost by for Trump. Divide that by 160. One, two, three. One, two, three. Uh -oh, you're using that racist math one. now. 
and multiply that by 100 so I can just directly tell you a number. And that is five, that is, that is five, five hundredths of a percent. Well, that's, that's an interesting number. Calling the election by 80,000 votes, and I'm just ballparking here because I'll have a real fucking number. It was 80 versus 75, right? So it's 155. All right. 175. Don't you mean 59? I I'm going with the official statistics here. Oh 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 the quote unquote official. He's 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 uh, he's coming in with the other side to my ballparking here and using real numbers. Yes, I am. I'm actually using it's it's a it's roughly three percent is what the difference was between the two candidates. So what's the three percent though? What's what's the actual? The problem that you have with with saying three percent is that ignores. Oh, no, 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 no! I didn't mean between swing states and. Blah, blah, I didn't blah. mean the the gross difference. I meant the difference in the counties that determined the election. And that's that's a separate thing. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that's the value I was talking about because in that case it was on the order of fifty to a hundred thousand, I think it was, which is uh, less than a percent. In there, it was probably less, around there. That's less than a percent. But even even so, so now you're one in a thousand. That's not shipping all of the homeless people in the entire I'm nation. I'm just saying that. I'm just saying that by your average metric, which is equally being cheesed here by me. Yes, that, yes, it is. You're you're actually. I think you're. Because you, because again, violation. You, you dick. You, you brought it up. I'm gonna pull that on you now. No, no. I mean, I'm I'm, used, day, I am ca- I'm cashing that card in right now. Yes. At, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, while we can account for that, sitting there and talking about overall policy, we cannot sit there and plan policy for 99.9 percent of the population and go, "Oh my God, this is completely invalid because one tenth of one percent has an issue with it." You should right? be able. Right. Then, how, how, then, here's another statistic for you. Well, here's another like, unknown unknown for they you. They can manage. They can manage to gather enough cash up for their their uh-huh. their booth hall. So you know, yeah. I think that they can go. Uh, again, an, another unknown unknown for you. Uh, how many people show up ready to vote? Get told you don't have an ID. You can't try it. You know, look at their watch. Go. I can't go home and get my ID. I need to vote now before the poll closes. And they get told, "Sorry, you're SOL." Well, I mean. I know, yeah, poor planning and all. Like, like yeah, I, I agree fundamentally. Like, it's like, I mean, it's voting you, day. You fucked up. You, you had weeks to do this. Yeah, I get that part. You, you, just want me, you want me to be sympathetic to an individual who, I'm who goes, oh my God. Well, we'd also have to look at the numbers of how many of these quote unquote real people. All right. I got to go ahead and bring existing. this back to you in a different way here, um, Steve. What happens if you show up to class and you're just like, yeah, but I, I need, like, an extra hour, and I have this homework ready for you. It'll be done. And he just goes, sorry, Charlie. Yeah, it sucks, but yeah. you live with it. I'm just just putting that out there that there's this uh, in-kind moment you're, that you're overlooking the feeling of. I, I'm not I'm not in any way overlooking an unkind moment. Like, I have I have zero sympathy for people who fuck up that bad. Like, this is, this is something that, like, right. voting day is a thing. And yeah. you, you, you know, like at least at least for where we are, in my <laughs> I believe I believe the polls, ignoring the early voting, let's say it was just same day voting, our polls are open from like 7 a.m. to like yeah. 9 p.m. So I should and probably at go some ahead. Point in 14 hours, yeah. you should be able to find your license and go to the freaking poll. I should probably. Can, I, should, uh, I should go ahead. I should go ahead and explain part of what's going on with our discussion here. 
This also explains a lot of our other arguing. This, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, is called edge case analysis, where you go and you find out where the boundary is and you bitch about it until you've gotten the gray area squeezed down a little bit, and it kind of looks like a line from a distance. <laughs> it's also called pragmatism versus theory. So again, the law, by necessity, because it's the theory that governs the way society works, no matter how you bitch about it in court, is necessarily theoretical when you're describing it in legislation. When it comes to court, this is the case. Yeah, that's judges and jury are supposed to be yeah. When it comes to writing a law itself, I, you can I, never get to all the specifics. I, I don't know. I think I think that if I was sitting there on, the, on the, in the case of in the case of a judge presiding over the law, right? The first thing you have to do is find an individual who has standing in order to bring yeah. you know evidence that the, there has been injury in that case. And you know right? what the zero thing they do? When we start talking when we start talking about these laws, these aren't mm -hmm. actual individuals standing up and saying, "Oh my God, this law would yeah. never impact me." Yeah, the, the zero an activist in an activist organization saying, "Oh my God, a theoretical yeah. person." Again, this they're not relevant either because they're not the ones writing the law. So the point there is the zero thing a judge does is not write the law; they read it. Sure, sure, but but the judge, in order to right. actually have a case, would have to have an individual who was injured and had standing. And right. this has actually been brought up a lot with a lot of recent cases. Well, you know, For instance, the Obamacare cases or even the uh, the Trump trial cases. So in order to do this, right, the, right, the people who are opposed to this law, who want to sue on the grounds and get it overturned because it's unconstitutional or whatnot, would actually have to find the individual who gave a yeah. shit and didn't have an ID. Yeah, I'm saying that's a perfectly reasonable. Tiny fraction of the population that they don't exist. Yeah, I'm just I'm saying it's perfectly reasonable. <laughs> but I'm also saying that if I was looking at this in a post-legislation, I would say that the the person to have standing would be the one that was unduly burdened with the uh, the requirement to find some form of ID. And all you'd and have, you'd to have to find, find that person. Yes, absolutely. You'd have exactly. to find that person. And let's and be entirely again, honest, they did. don't exist. Suppose they don't exist. was somehow unduly burdened. And that by Democrats' shitty luck, it would probably be an uh, undocumented immigrant or an illegal alien. But let's just so, skip that eventuality, so, too. So, again, again, the point is that by the time you get down to, like, the, the courts do, the when you start talking about things like standing, right. you can't sue on theoretical grounds. You can't even yeah. overturn laws on theoretical grounds. Literally, well, actually, you start talking about... Put that back a little bit, because... <laughs> no, no, we, we, we dealt with this with Obamacare. Literally, they were not able to sue over the individual mandate because yeah. the individual mandate wasn't implemented for seven years after the law was passed. Right. So they literally just had to wait until the individual mandate kicked in, then sue, and then get the thing yeah. overturned. And who do you think made that calculation? Oh, I'm, I'm sure who made that calculation, but... Yeah, you, you know who that guy is, right? Yes, I do. Yeah, that dickhead in court, the MIT guy? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I get it. court in session, whatever. I get it, but it goes back to the point is that, that we routinely have these things where there's a yeah. theoretical case, and we know that we can pass the law without this. So, so here's, here's a question what, for what you. What you're hearing is activists who are arguing, not so an actual reasonable person who has been... Here's the thing that... Here's the, the, here's the part where theory and, and pra practical uh, operation cross, cross boundaries a bit. As soon as you get out of your... Um, 
as soon as you get out of the, the first case you bring in, as soon as you get out of your lower court case, and I can never remember the fucking names of these things. I remember appellate. I don't remember the first one. And it's not prima facie because that's getting your ass arrested. Or a ticket. Uh, so uh, as soon as you get past that first case, you can immediately get lost in the weeds. And no, it's not that far off. One you level. Well, you'd you'd uh, still you have, to have to have that first case. And again. But yeah, but again, you don't need it. This is the thing exist. where it gets in. Here's the thing where it gets in. You have if it's unduly un, if it's unreasonable as a requirement for proof of that to get to an appellate court, that is something that you can challenge a court that there has been an undue burden placed upon you to prove standing. Not no, not that no. not that, that gets significant no. rulings in favor there, of it. There, that that is literally why the election turned out the way the election turned out is we had a whole bunch of people who just said nope, no standing. Right. Yes, well, also, they said there was no standing some after the fact as well. Some going through right now as we speak, and you know I, why they're I, going through? I'm pretty because sure they're proving that they had standing <coughs> or not. I'm pretty sure that they kicked them all out. Almost yeah, every – I don't think there's any shit, more left. There was shit that just dropped like a week or two ago. Did you not remember that? What are you talking about? What was it in Pennsylvania they had something where they said that, yeah, it really was bad that they did that? No, no. The Pennsylvania one was literally. That there was, was something that was decided just a week or two ago. I, they they picked it up at the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said it doesn't matter because. No, it, that, uh, that was that, not that. There was something that what that happened just uh, a week or two ago. And I'm pretty sure we talked about it. I don't think so. Mm, no, I don't think we got into I that. Think, yeah, uh, I think uh, I think Florida's got right. some really really. Maybe good, I'm just remembering. Uh, no, no, really something came up, but, I, but we haven't discussed it here. Okay, we hadn't discussed it. No. All right, so something did come up. You sure? Well, Evan just ever remembered something came up. Now, again, this could have, this could easily be that it has no relevance to what I, the point I'm making anyway. Point is, these cases, some of these cases are still ongoing, and they have to, they're they're moving through stages slowly enough. I mean, there's also theory. You can, you can look at the uh, you can look at the tallies. Oops, all the all the votes are gone. Yeah. All the ballots disappeared because they had them shredded. That was a that was a thing. You know, I mean, thing you're supposed to keep like what two years? I, I, ignoring ignoring the illegalities. The point is that you need to have standing. <laughs> That's kind of court. I, I mean, they, 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 that stuff's going to happen, right? They're going to make any anything that could potentially counteract the narrative disappear. Right, like we were kind of hoping that there was some integrity in the process. I mean, I mean things like, I mean things like blaming Biden, biting people on the dogs. I don't know your reference, but I mean, he threw those poor dogs under the bus. <laughs> dogs deserve better. <laughs> they're just, they're good doggos. Look on that dog's face. It's like you, Benedict Arnold, son of a bitch, you need to kill him. <laughs> Oh, I remember that. That was like last week, wasn't it? There was some sort of like... Yeah, yeah they, they said that Champ bit uh, some sort of uh, Secret Service agent. We uh, will just take the <laughs> the trustworthy media at their word that that's how it went down. Yeah, it's not because some squirrel got to Biden's ankle and he's gone full rabies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we couldn't say. These are all allegations based on, uh, you know, places like oh, the New York Times. Which, oh, speaking of the New York Times, 
Uh, there's a small update for uh, people kind of in these spheres. Project Veritas has scored a oh, that big, awesome. big wow, win yeah. there. Uh, yeah. The New York Times has basically of standing. had oh, to yeah. say that basically they only publish opinion. They're not a factual you know, publication. Although, to be fair, they've done this before. Like this is not the first time this has ever been ever come out because I think uh, I think Project Veritas sued somebody else over the fall yeah. and they won and that this is like, like that was, only, that was like, like an individual the, author. This is only like the seventh time, it's whatever the hell. I mean, they said it in the video. This is only like this is a, a they've 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 someone who has come after the New York Times for the kind of shit that they're they're going after him for for the uh, uh, for slander or whatever. This is only like this is uh, they've had under ten uh, separate instances in court where this has actually been sustained as having the standing to go forward with the case, being yep. so egregious and so direct that they had the standing. And basically, this is they're still going forward even after that defense. Yeah. So the New York Times is discovery is going to be uh, a motherfucker. It's hilarious. It is going to be hilarious. And, it, and they are go- there are going to be New York Times journalists who have to be interviewed by members of Project Veritas under oath. <laughs> that is solid so they, gold. So, so this is because I remember Project Veritas did this with oh, Lord, some, or, or who was it? It was some author that published a piece, and somebody sat there and sued them, uh, sued them for slander and libel. And she said that even though her piece wasn't labeled as opinion, it's really her personal opinion at the time. Oh, no. she, she changed her story between what she said in the article and what she oh, said yeah. in court testimony. Oh, yes. I remember that. She, specific, she started off by saying, like, all, and then, and then changed it to most of. Uh, the, the things that Project Veritas was basing their story off of were uh, unnamed sources. Yep. It went from all unnamed sources to mostly unnamed sources. Yep. Except for the fact that I think they, they, if I remember correctly, they actually had all of the sources named. No, they did, yeah, they not only had them named, they had their fucking faces on camera. That's right. I think, like, like, if you wanted to, you could probably find their fucking address. Well, I mean, so, so in this case, this is not a case where they've won something yet. They have just won the right to go to trial. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. And they think okay. they still lose in court, but they have to go through discovery. I, I mean, if they and have they got to catch these people for perjury if they, if they perjure themselves. For, so first off, the uh, what what our audience would need to know is that when it comes to slander and libel laws, in our society, they are excruciatingly difficult to prove to the point <laughs> where it's not worth actually going for in most cases. Which means yeah. that in order for the judge to rule that this case can go forward, they have to have a, a whopper of evidence. So a lot of a lot of states, um, thankfully, and I, and this is a good thing in my opinion, I have what are called anti-slap laws, and this is what they won in court uh, just recently. Is New York Times tried to come in with an anti-slap defense? <coughs> so slap is when uh, you slander libel and whatever the, uh, something or another persecution or whatever. But basically, slap nuts with two Ps uh, is when you go after somebody for, like, like libel or whatever uh, just to shut them up. Yeah, it's basically and to keep big corporations or big voices from shutting out uh, the people yeah, that it, would complain it, about it, them. It is, it is a counter to the heckler's veto. 
Certainly, that's really certainly. what it is. It absolutely is, yeah. That's a, that's a really good, simple analogy. Right. So it says, it's, it's like very simply that you can't just turn around and say, that person's lying, and then we're going to take you to court for that. You actually have to prove it in court that that individual yeah. was lying. And instead of getting dragged through the entire case, anti-slap kind of short-circuits short, short that down to, well, your case has no standing and you're a bitch. Goodbye. Right. So the New York Times tried to pull that against Project Veritas, and the judge apparently thought that what, what New York Times did was so egregious that there was no fucking chance. Uh, and the anti-slap uh, defense, if you will, was dismissed immediately. So that's what... And that's a big is. deal. Yeah, that, that's, that's a, a very deal. big deal. That's only happened, like, again, under, under can count the number of times it's happened, like in the last century, on both hands. And so, so in order for that More to have five. happened, the New York Times legitimately has to have done something, and not just done something, but done it intentionally. Like, so one of the things when it comes to slander, the difficulty and the burden of proof that anti-slap sits there and kind of kind of deals with is you have to know that what you're lying about somebody with is a lie at the time that you're saying it. Yeah. So, so that's about. It, it, it has to be done maliciously. So in order for them to move this forward, it means that New York Times, they literally have evidence saying that this is going to be what we're intentionally going to do, and we are going to lie and obfuscate in this case. You know, and that that's very easily could have been. Present. Here's the funny thing is, I, is that could have easily been gathered in the same way that, uh, they, that they had several months of CNN morning calls. Yep. You know, it could easily have been something that they hadn't even published yet that they were still working on. They just came in with evidence to work and said, by the way, here we go. Yes, indeed. But that is... That is it's, uh, but again, you know, like, like I said, right, we, we reach a point in our society where we, we say, okay, that's enough. You've had, you've had your crazy time. And yeah. part of me is sitting there and looking at, like, I thought the Dems were going to rein it in a little bit more, and they haven't been able to. <laughs> Oh, what? not even, you, made, not even made the attempt. I think that they did make the attempt, and they failed. Because you give them the an inch, day, and they will take a mile. It doesn't matter right. what they say. It's what they do. Right. They never so do restraint. So so we have, you know, the, the, the well, that's, you know. Actually, that's, that's at, not true, Craig. They're actually really good at physical restraints, especially if we're talking about black people. But anyway. <laughs> oh, shit. Wow. Uh, oh, that old KKK. They said they were going to stop that in the 1860s, you asshole. I know. Wouldn't... Well, you know, you can't really expect that. And they fucked that up, apparently. Yeah. Anyway, you were saying? Yeah. Oh, no, just, just that I, I thought... I thought that they were going to sit there and rein it in a little bit. And I do believe that they tried, but I don't think they realized how... Like, they, they kind of... You see, they did try. They called the Juneteenth. So, so, so we have, we have, and, and for, for those of us who are, are engineers and we deal with reactions, right, we have an energy threshold and an energy barrier that you have to move a reaction up and over in order for it to start. Something, like gasoline doesn't spontaneously combust. Something you might call an activation energy. For an example. activation energy. There you for go. The, Thank for you. the high school chemists out there. Well, sure. Kinematics, uh, it, it goes by a lot of different names depending on whether you're looking at it from a physics perspective or a chemistry perspective, but right. activation energy is a very good term for usage. So you have to raise the little ball up above this in order for it to go down the hill, and that's really what we're looking at. So the problem that they had 
is that Trump was moderate. And because he was moderate, they had to push that ball way up on that uh, activation energy curve. And I think that they – We'll call it Mount Crazy. Right. They had, to, they had to push it really, really far. And they got it to the top, and they thought that they could pull it back before it went all the way down the hill. And they just, they just couldn't. So they pushed it too far up that activation energy curve, and they couldn't reset the bomb. See, the only people who would believe what you're saying are the people who are actually trying to do that, and that would be like Nancy Pelosi and a handful of others. The rest of them are just fucking nuts. Oh, yeah. Or at the very best, along for the ride. At best. Well, now, as far as the voters go, there's a lot of well-meaning Democrats out there. Oh, yeah, there's there a lot, lot of people who made a very bad decision. Well, there's about 59 million of them. But anyway, that uh, made a really bad decision, and you know, I'll, I would say that I would say that today there are less than fifty-nine million people who would make that decision if given the option again today. So there's a lot of you could say there's even a silent majority of Democrats out there who who really do or have like the best intentions in mind. You know, they they might be voting for who their parents voted for or who they, you know, just voting with the party because they don't like the other guy, whatever. Or, you know, and... and They're not the crazy ones. The crazy ones are the loud fuckers that are tearing the streets up and that are fucking up uh, in in Washington. They're called bleeding hearts for a reason. So ultimately, when you start talking about the conservatives, the conservatives tend to be very much pragmatists. And the problem with pragmatism is it's not very empathetic. Well, it's not not comfortable, but it gets you shit done. Right. Again, it doesn't. You're not necessarily going to feel good about the kids in cages, but it has to happen. It's an un. It's an un. It's a a necessary evil kind of thing. See, here's the thing: when you when you look at the when you look at just like last year alone, like the one of the lowest numbers, uh, one of the lowest years for uh, for uh, for illegal immigration. In in like the last few decades, kind of thing. Yeah, in the last several that, decades. Yeah. That happens because of tough talk, large deportation, and being bigger and scarier than you really are. And then when somebody decides to change that because they think the problem's been solved, it creates the problem all over. Now here's the funny thing: if you listen, we're right back to ground zero. If, if you listen to the sentiment of the people who are actually at the the processing facilities. They're all pissed off. And why are they pissed off? Because they say they were told by Joe, Joe Biden, Biden told us that we could come here. Yeah. It's a Joe Biden said we could get in. Yep. Well, I mean, they, they paid a fucking coyote to ass up uh, middle of Mexico. And that's, and that's because he was running on a pro-immigration platform. <laughs> that's well, the thing. It wasn't just pro-immigration. It was pro-illegal immigration. Yes. Because you could easily say that Trump ran on a far more pro-immigration platform. But oh, he most certainly did. Yep. He was absolutely yeah, pro-immigration, of, of but right pro hated him for that. A lot yep. of heavy conservatives and the far right, because they're separate categories here, hated him for that because they didn't think we needed any more people. In- I mean, I'll be honest. I'm not saying, really conservative, in, and I'm in, certainly not in, far like, right, and I think that his stance on immigration was – Kind of stupid. I'd really personally like to see immigration like curbs well, for about I mean, 10 years. Conservative and far right are separate categories. Yeah, and I'm like a libertine nationalist guy. There's so many people. That feel right, like, like when we start talking about these things, and I think uh, so, so Scott Adams, who I have a love hate relationship with every once in a while, he has an on. 
I don't. Every once in a while, he has an inspirational idea yeah. and it conveys. Every once. Every once in a while, right? Every once in a while, and then the rest of it is him sitting there and smoking his own ass. <laughs> like, like he yeah, is, he rolls his hairs up and lights it up. He does. He does. He, he like puts his head between his legs and takes a big whiff of his own asshole. And it is. It is. I'm not. I'm not trying Look, to. Look, man. He was an engineer for years, and then he decided to stop that and write cartoons. Therefore, oh, he, was he, knows his best. he was an economist. At least he's STEM adjacent. He's not <laughs> STEM. <laughs> Economy is not a science. Sorry. But the point. One of the things that he did in one of his uh, his little video things that he did oh, back in 2019 was he talked about how people like in order to be coherent on the immigration debate and this was back when Trump was dealing with this problem they need to be able to cite the number of of immigrants that can come into the country every year legally sure. right like you need to be able to say this is how many people i find acceptable this is how many people i don't because if your answer is zero then you're just being you know kind of a bigot a peasant and, yeah. and your if your answer is infinite then you're now, a Moron. Here's the thing. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that that's being, um, I wouldn't say that's being a bigot. I would just I would say at at the most charitable, that's being a pedant. Sure, whatever. But well, it, you don't have it, to be bigoted to say we're good enough. I, I guess that's true. I guess that's true. There are people out there who are just a dick. To to put it to put it to now where where Craig and I and I think Craig will back me up on this I'm I'm speaking for you before I've had the opportunity to against the idea but I'm pretty sure you'll agree with me is that's bullshit you should never have a number that you sit there and assign as what's good enough you should have a method to calculate the number for what is considered good enough because it doesn't matter you know if those variables change you should have something that allows you, you know, to change those variables here's the thing i would say if you want to have a number you should have a method sure fine if you want to have a ballpark number you should have a method if sure, you don't want to have a number then you can be a, you can fuck off you shouldn't be glued to a you shouldn't be glued to a number you should be glued to a method sure. right would that be a fair a fair and this is not true oh, yeah. just for like immigration this is true for everything and that's where, where, you know, again, Scott Adams' point was that to be coherent, you have to actually be willing to talk about this and have some sort of rational basis. Where he's wrong is how you get there. Because <laughs> if, you, if you pull a number out of your ass, it could be too large or too big. Well, this, if, is, this is actually something that comes up when you're doing safety factors quite often. Yep. People you know, talk about, like, oh, well, a safety factor should always be, like, greater than two. No. Uh, in fact, a lot of things that are only like a couple percent uh, above one. It all depends on what you're doing. Exactly, and you have for, to have a method for that, which is not, for, for not bridges, a number. For bridges, it's like four, right. just as an FYI. And and then for you know for other things, he's right, it, it's closer to like one or two percent. <laughs> and that's just because like it's not create an inherently dangerous situation if you're off by a little bit, right? right. Like if you're, if you're off by one percent of the total number of pizzas that you ordered, yeah, maybe not everybody's going to get their second and third slice, but everybody's still going to get a slice. So yeah, it's okay but, you know, if you had a safety factor of four for pizzas, it you, would be you, very you, bad. Out of three hundred percent. Right. So, so, so there is a gradient here. But the point I was going to get to is that when we start talking about where where Evans coming in and he's saying that he doesn't think it should be a pro-immigration platform, or where people from coming from the Trump side is. We can actually come up with and calculate, and we'll do this here on the show live because I've been prepping this. Oh, it's okay. It's been sitting in my lap. Ah, he's, he's been 
sitting there with his, his asshole itching. And that, he gets this argument. For like, for like two weeks, I haven't had a thought to actually like expel it. He's got like a fucking a, Excel file in a, and a preamble and Word open, don't you? No, I don't. You don't even need an Excel file. You can do it right off the top of your head, right? Uh oh. So, so, yeah. so, so the first question that you're going to ask is what would be the ex- – so, so we'll talk about the most negative impact from immigration. I think that we can all agree it would be unemployment numbers, right? Because it's a one-for-one trade for jobs. Would we Would we all agree on that? I'm sorry. Uh, you've actually got other, other concerns as well, you know, so it all depends on the numbers. Oh, so you said as well about as a one-to-one trade for jobs. So, so the, the – the, the factor that we need to control for the negative impact of immigration okay. would be unemployment, right? Okay. That's that's the one that we're going to base our numbers on. So every job lost for an American that is gained by an, um, a migrant every, of any sort is right. a is a net loss. Is what you're saying. Essentially, essentially. So okay, and so not every immigrant that comes in, every job that is taken by an immigrant. Is, is one that's lost is, by is one that's not, av- not necessarily lost, but not available. Not, ava- not available is fine, sure. Right. So, so, so if let's say so the the next question that you have is what would you find to be acceptable on a social policy level, maximum unemployment rate as a result of immigration? And my answer would be about one percent. I think that's the maximum that you could have as acceptable from immigrant losses for jobs. As a difference between present immig- present un- unemployment and the unemployment due to immigration. That would be correct. Yes. So, like, you know, if if President unemployment of Americans, let me say that. Right. So, a maximum increase of unemployment of one percent. Now, let's start factoring in something like naturalization. It probably takes about a decade to naturalize an individual where they're no longer technically an immigrant and aren't really competing on that kind of a job, right? They've established themselves. They got friends. They got family. We would consider them American citizens in all but name only if they hadn't gotten through the citizenship process. And the citizenship process takes about seven years, which gives three years to establish themselves, seven years to go through the process, and be kind of taken out of this pool of immigrants. So 1% unemployment rate, 10 years, that means that the maximum amount that we can have competing with the job market is a 0.1% influx of immigrants every year. Now, if you take, uh, we've got, what, 360 million Americans? Hold on a second. Did I miss something there? Uh, you said a 1% increase in unemployment, right? Yep. And um, then we got the 0.1%. What happened? So so it takes 10 years between the period of time at which somebody arrives and they are technically in. in right. a, so you have to assume constant employment for that to be the case. Not necessarily. I'll get to that. How we, how we factor that in. But just in general, a 1% hit okay. to the employment rate. Ten if, years I, if, I were being, uh, if I were being a college professor for a moment here, instead of trying to, to solve a problem, I should, I should tell you what I'm thinking about college professors. Uh, and to simplify the problem for, for basic understanding, we would just assume constant employment. But yes. since we're not doing that. Whatever. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Okay. The overall number is so that means that we can have a 0.1% competition in the market, right? Every year. On average, okay. we allow in 0.1% of the unemployed, or uh, 0.1% of our popul- of our working population. Of our total jobs available. Our total jobs available, right? So jobs filled plus jobs unfilled. Right. 
So if you turn around and we assume 360 million Americans, all right, what is it, 320? I think it's 320. It's about 320. Yeah, so 320, 320 million Americans. Sure. Assume 40 years of job life expectancy, right? That's 20 to 65 plus or okay. minus unemployment, blah, blah, blah. So we have 40 years of employment, 320 million people. That's roughly 8-ish million people per job slot, right? I mean, they have to include all well, the actually, children. Sorry. Let me rephrase that. <laughs> it's 80 – sorry, I, I did my – I jumped a shark there. There's 80 million eight, – a lifespan of 1 to 80 years, of which 40 of those years are productive labor. Okay. Right? The rest of it is feeding off the system. Friggin – we need to we need to grind them up into soiling green. But okay, we'll get shut up, Palmer. <laughs> no, that's only the Jews that need to go into the soiling green. <laughs> he's, he's coming along and putting the copper wire out of the air. We're we're only quoting Andrew Cuomo here and just his own thoughts. These are certainly not any of our own. Yes, these are these are these are my psychic thoughts. Well, I mean, then I'd have to go sit there and you know find them. If, if he were a Jew, he'd walk into the copper wires allowing the Hasidic to be outside, and he'd make copper foil. Instead, he's cutting them off like a goddamn Italian. I have no idea what you're referencing, but... Hilarious sure. jokes, which you'll get someday. <laughs> okay. As I as I move deeper into Jewish traditions, according <laughs> to my wife. <laughs> no, you, all right, you never heard what happens if you stick a penny. No. Copper wire. And then I have my corollary. What happens when what happens when a third Jew walks into it? Copper foil. I see. Okay. Don't get it. But that's that's all right. It's not the funny. copper wire I'm talking about outside, by the way, is the one that the Hasidics put up around their yard so they can go outside and still be considered inside their home. I thought that was silver wire. Or whatever it is. It's 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 is wire. Is that a real thing? Yeah, it's a yeah. real thing. They put up wire. Yeah, I thought it was silver. No, oh, whatever. I, I, uh, it doesn't matter. That's the important part. So in any case, going back to the example, divide divide 320 by 80 All right. uh, for the number of life years. That brings us down to 4 million people per, per life year, 40 years. That's 160 million people that are technically employed. 0.1% of that is 1 in 1,000, or roughly, uh, what, 160,000, something like that? That sounds oddly familiar. Oddly. Go on. Far away. Hold on. That sounds like a mistake that was made earlier. Eh, it might be. Might be because I actually it, it drops down lower than that, and I got to remember where where I got the rest of the couch from. But it, it comes down to be. Well, then you have unemployed people, and then you have no, no, no. That's separate. That comes into the whole right. entire thing there. So we, we get to, I think it's... Um, so it's not 160,000. No, it's it's not 160,000. It's even lower yeah. than 160,000. And I'll just go ahead and say right now, a lot of people, when they do polling on this, would accept something on the order of 300-something thousand. But it's... it's or it's, up to it's, a million. I think it's 160,000, and then you have to sit there and baseline that for, like the average unemployment rate with it maybe hitting that that maximum point a zero percent unemployment theoretically right and then going down to zero at say five percent unemployment because that point it would be untenable to have and that's how you'd have to balance it but if you do something like that with an exponential curve 
it drops down to something like 18,000 people. It's it's ridiculous how small that number becomes very, very quickly mm-hmm. in terms of what would be tolerable for an immigrant population. So this still, sounds, this still sounds like it assumes certain static values that are not static. I mean... I mean and, and that's perfectly fine because those are yes. the assumptions that you were stated at the very beginning here. Right. Yes, yes and no... There are certain static values that are not obviously not the one I harped on early on, but like for instance, no population growth. Um, right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Not, yes. Also, not including the immigrant population into the population growth. If you do include population growth. No, no, no. I mean, like, uh, yes. At any given time, the base rate for any given ten-year period, in which there is no significant increase, there's never going to be a significant increase in population growth. It works out to something along those lines. Right. So it would be bigger than eighteen thousand, but. Realistically, not by a whole lot over a 10-year period. Not not by a whole lot. And and there was another thing that dropped it down significantly, and I believe that was when I placed it on the exponential curve. Mm-hmm. So the uh, the amount that we would have at 0% would be that full 160,000 rate, but you wouldn't want to exceed that 1%, so your threshold would be much lower at the average unemployment rate the nation have. So it would be like a... Now, it's like a... This assumes this assumes right now, and we're, we're we're talking about the immigrants who come in and get a job. Yep. So this is this is specifically not including the immigrants who come in and don't get a job. That's correct. Okay. Well, yeah. and that's I mean we're we're like, assuming period. the equal number of people <laughs> here. How much? Like we're going to assume that that is including them as part of the potential for unemployment. Yeah. Right? So we don't want to have too many people unemployed. Well, or, see, that's the thing is is. So for unemployment here, we're using the U3 index, I'm assuming, the uh, standard for unemployment in the country that we use, the U3. Yeah. So U6 would be everybody <coughs> everybody who's not employed. And that, like, this, that's what's oftentimes called the true unemployment. But, like, if you're, you know, are you looking for work, are you not looking for work, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, these are all things that are built into these different metrics. Um, but U6 would be the broadest one. U3 is what you see normally when they talk about like, unemployment. Uh, U1 is like... That's it. Um, lost you for a second there. U1 is what? It's people like who are hired and fired. And then that's it. No one else. Yeah, so not looking for work, not... Looking for not uh, people who are who are looking for work but can't find it, um, not people who are and I think there's like after a year or something is one of the differences. There's people who are like uh, dejected and no longer looking for work because they're discouraged. So there's the discouraged unemployment section, and then U6 is like everybody who can work who's not working, and that oftentimes swings between like 10 and 20 percent. Which is a large number, but like it, it's it's a realistic thing. So you know it's not going to include all the children in the United States, for example, unless they're yes. eligible for working. What whatever number we commonly report. The point is that yes, there there are. This is one of the other problems with these simplistic models is that mm-hmm. there's a whole bunch of assumptions in the actual target baseline. And but again, it's, it's not a. It's it's just one of the things that is is often a frustration with people. Who hear these about these kind of assumptions, these models, and these back of the envelope calculations is oftentimes these kind of numbers that you come up with, especially like in engineering and, 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 and just in STEM in general, these are the places where you start from. You say, okay, here's my extraordinarily shitty perspective and view of the world. 
how do we refine this so that it somehow matches reality? And, and I mean, in this case, again, we're still talking about speculation as to how many would be acceptable and what kind of method would you use to determine who's ex what is the acceptable rate of immigration. Yeah, but I mean, when you talk about those kind of numbers, so it would there's be almost than nobody that's going to be terribly right, well, upset and, about and that's, that's kind of we, can, we can at least put a minimum bound on it, but also say, like, it's probably not terribly greater than this value with right. the other assumptions still in place if we add in, you know, a little bit of real-world spice. It's probably not going to be, you know, several orders of magnitude greater. It might be, say, an order of magnitude greater. And, I mean, there's there's other assumptions here because that would be distributed amongst, you know, each nation-state kind of thing. That's not just going to be sure. what we can – that's not what we can accept from the southern border. That's what we can accept in total for the entire United States. That includes the people that are coming in that have rare skills that we really desire. That includes the people who are coming in with, uh, uh, yeah. you know – no, it's a very coarse model. Right. It's a very coarse model. And I, I, I there's some other factors that I forgot, but it, it – Well, here's, here's another thing to consider is that if you look at about 40-odd percent of the people who are here illegally just overstayed their visa. They're just here. That's just the way it is. So these are people who might already have jobs that other people wanted to have who are um, – we're no longer eligible to have them, and then you know they might get fired and they just become part of unemployment. Right, and if you if you did something like you break it down, so so they so might not be included in certain metrics. Is the other thing. So so for people looking to understand how we get down to these lower numbers, if you take the 160,000 that we come in as total immigrants coming in, right, and you divide decided that you wanted to throttle it and do something like that, such that such that you had control. Uh, and you said, okay, that means 16,000 per percent of unemployment you have as uh, like you know kind of max. So at five percent at zero, all of a sudden, if we're if we're not if we're sitting in like three or four uh, percent un unemployment, it's not you're not getting very many. And, and that again, this is this is nope. everybody coming in in total. This is the people who are coming in from Europe. These are the people who are going to be coming in. Yep. From Africa, these are going to be our Syrian refugees. These are going to be—it's a very, very small number per percent of unemployment. Now, here, here's, here's the major criticism I could give you right off the top of my head, um, and, and again, this is all in the same kind of ballpark, uh, and this is obviously a part of, is built in as part of the assumptions. Every job, and, and so this is going to be contrary to an assumption on its face. Every job that is taken by an immigrant who comes in is one that is unavailable to an American. Sure. So then you have people who come in, and this is part of that highly valued skills class, I would say, because it, it is equally valuable to have someone with entrepreneurial uh, inclinations. You have people who come in and are job creators. They come in, start a business, employ whoever the hell will fill the slot, and get shit done. That's that's true. That used to that's be a true. lot more prevalent among immigrants than it is now. It's well, far less prevalent now. There's another key to that is, again, that's not coming in year one. Like, if you're talking about people who have that kind of cash to start up a business, which is about 150 Look, to well, here's the thing is, right? Well, if you have that cash. businesses can start, though. Consider businesses can start. You don't necessarily need to have. You don't need a lot of cash. Look, you need $130 a year, roughly, to, to own a, a business, period, to have an LLC registered somewhere. Yes and no, but to, to have, to be the, at the point where you're hiring people outside of yourself. Uh huh. You need to have quite a. You're going to have a, a 
typically the average cost is going to be 150 to 200 thousand dollars startup, sometimes more, and that's that's before you get so to the point where you have employees. So this is the part where I bring in lemonade stands. Like I'm not saying they're running a lemonade stand, but my point is that there's some under the table stuff that can go, that often goes on. There there is there is, but again, and that often I, turns into a legitimate enterprise. Sure. And all of that, all of that is true, but that's not going to happen year one, right? And that's probably well, you're talking about ten years. Ten. You're talking about over ten right. years and, and at, time at, to do this. At ten years, and again, we're we're only focusing on unemployment rate. Yes, you're correct. At some point in ten years, yeah. they become a net contributor, but, and that's that's why I put the cap at ten right. years. But again, right? like again, I'm attacking. I'm attacking here specifically an assumption that was stated at the very beginning. Right. So this isn't and, and like those, invalidating the model with its well, assumptions. It, it, I'm saying this assumption fails in this regard because these and, and, people exist. And even then, when we start talking about those bis- the, the, the formation of businesses, it's still only on the order of like 5 to 10 percent, right? So it, sure, doesn't, it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't drastically swing it. So if you're talking about you're, you're saying at the maximum, if we had 0 percent unemployment, we want that full 160,000 number coming in. And if we're at like – Three percent unemployment. We want at most thirty-two thousand coming in, which is probably closer to the average. Or maybe we're at an exponential. Oh, that that's, that's inverted. So if you wanted to do it in that way, then you had to have a maximum unemployment that's allowable to have any immigration period. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I did. That was stated as the assumption from zero to five. Okay. So five, at five percent or more unemployment, nobody comes into the country. So that would mean you'd have to have uh, your basis, if you did a per, a per percent unemployment, uh, you'd have a, a basis instead of on the order of 16, it would be on the order of 32,000. Uh, that, that would be the average? Yeah, it would be on the average okay. of 32. But uh, 16, so, okay. 16 right. so, so when I sat there and I spit out 16, I'm talking about the lower end of what we're looking at. Yeah, on I, I, I get it now. A common lower figure. Because we're not going to want that full one percent of unemployment hitting, because the yeah. a, unless you're at like for I whatever gotcha. reason, amazing so, emergent technology has happened, and we need to for employ. For didn't catch that, it's it's if you look talk about a maximum of one percent, the midpoint is a half a percent of increase in unemployment, which would mean sixteen thousand instead of the full thirty-two thousand. So he talks about sixteen. It's it's you know, it is again is rough because it's not a linear curve that we're, we're dealing with. Right, it, it, you, could, around you could break 16. down into into groups of like twenty percent of that uh, of of that you know four to five or whatever. But in my my base sure. assumption is that we would curve it on an exponential curve because as we okay, get so, so, zero percent oh. unemployment rate, we really want to be so at three percent that up. So we not so it wouldn't be a, a value per percent increase, it would be just on an exponential curve. I mean, I mean you, could, you could do it either way, right? That I, I'm spitting out numbers, but yeah. they're all kind of in the same ballpark. Whether okay. we do, we say, hey, you know, at 3%, which is our average, we have half this this number, uh, you know, and it's going to be a, a perfectly linear curve, that's one thing, right? If we, we say that we want that curve to be much more exponential, that's going to be another. But still, at the end of the day, it's a maximum of 160,000 people, and that's only going to happen when the economy is, like, perfect. And there is 0% unemployment. It's basically never going to happen. And on average, the rest of it is going to be somewhere on the order of 16 to 32,000 for most of our typical years. And that's actually, oddly enough, I think, I think that's what we technically have set as the actual value of immigrants per year. Now, here's the thing. So we have, um, 
I believe it's 60,000 immigrants per year that get allowed in by the lottery system, um, which is not which is not. Re- uh, they, they're separate. So 60,000 is basically the basis for the lottery system, and then there is normal immigration on top of that, and then you have chain immigration, which is another uh, separate category, which is unbounded. Specifically, is unbounded and that's, because that's anybody who's a citizen families and blah 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 blah. So that's the thing is anybody who's a citizen has the right to family, which means that every uh, five to seven years is uh, is is basically the period that you have for to get your your um, that your green card, but to get your citizen. Yep. So not but, just to get allowed to be a permanent resident alien, but to become a citizen of the United States is yep. is seven years. Um, right. And oddly enough, it was funny because I just heard the. Uh, the so that every time you do that, every time you just come in, family members, you can sponsor everybody in your immediate family. Right. <clears throat> so, so, so the United. I mean, without without the the point of the exercise, right? And I, I think that we've been talking about the numbers and debating about the idiosyncrasies because we do that because we're engineers and that's like, this is what gets us off, people. It's so sad. We're pathetic. Yeah, he's got his dick in his hand. I, I, uh, you know what, my, uh, my dick was in my hand. My wife would be shaking her head and just like rolling her eyes because at least she wouldn't have to worry about it tonight. <laughs> but the, the, the point of the matter is that when we start talking about it, um, this is this would be you know, when we start throwing out numbers like sixteen to thirty-two thousand. This is derived from a, a methodology that has no assumptions built in as to what the right number is. This is entirely based off of agreeable points of principle, and then calculating that through with the numbers that we have and everything else. And yeah, we can fiddle with some of those assumptions, but it doesn't change those numbers drastically. Well, here's the thing: is is, is we can change those numbers drastically by changing a method and whatnot. But you'll notice that when I specifically start, in, you know, just, again, not attacking him, but I was attacking what he was the, the right. state the method. You notice that the methodology, not of a number. It wasn't like an emotional attachment to a number because oh, I want things you may have considered or not considered in the method that you used. And, and the, all of those things, even when we started talking about that, whatever assumptions we want to build into those changes in the, the initial problem statement or the layout or the formulation doesn't significantly impact the downstream numbers all that much. You're not going to be looking at going from, hey, it's going to be 16 to 32,000 people on average per year, and then going to a million or two million or three million. That's not that's not how we're going to like. Or you have to have change the method to do to get there right and, and i mean like you, you a big so, discussion right and and these are these are the, the kinds of things that you come in and it is not this isn't this isn't us sitting there and saying we don't like brown people or anything like that it just it turns out that it's a really small number if we want to well, preserve economic funny thing, isn't it? For everybody. So, so that's the funny thing is is uh, a lot of so when you say brown people, you have to start talking about which places you're going to be considering people to be well, brown. I, I, uh, I, I, yeah, that gets very complicated very fast. Whether or not brown, or to what preponderance, et cetera. And the, the, not kind of somebody who shouts racist at you about these things. Their entire ideology falls apart, and they call you racist again anyway. Um, well, I mean, because it, they it, have no specifics. They they just say, well, everybody's you know, all immigrants are brown. Like, okay, well, they came in from fucking Iceland. Uh, and they weren't a black person in Iceland at the time that they came in. 
And, and uh, I mean, what are you going to call them? Because are they still brown people? What if you know most of the people who overstay their visas are highly productive, very well off uh, by the time they get to the point where they make that kind of oopsie? Uh, people who are usually from India, Japan, China, mm-hmm. you know, so you, a lot of them are going to be Asians uh, or they're going to be Europeans. They're not well, usually going to be people who are from Mexico. The, and the that's, that's just is, the way the demographics work out. But a lot of them are brown people too. So, you know, it's well, an anti-brown to say we don't want these highly productive people in the country the, because the they point, overstayed a visa. The point of the exercise is that the number of, of people that we would generally find acceptable based on completely objective metrics is not particularly high. And it has nothing to do with being a nationalist or not being a nationalist. It's just not particularly high. And now, the you numbers you're saying sound that. pretty reasonable to me. But now, here's, well, I know that they're nowhere near to Here's where we can start to uh, bring in other exterior critiques of the model that was brought up earlier. If you, and this is not to find a model that works here, but just as a, as a, a way to, to rein in here the theoretical exercise with the practical results of it. If you look at how the country has fared under relatively heavy immigration in the last couple of decades, the last few decades, really. If you look at the way unemployment has fared, um, the the external factors beyond un, uh, beyond immigration have largely been the drivers uh, of the the rates of the significance in the rates of change for unemployment. So, for instance, last year, obvious short-term one was the pandemic, etc. But that was kind of and severe, but if you look even further back, you have uh, in 2012 we had Barack Obama getting in. Uh, right after we had thing uh, with 2008 for four years, and by the time it got to Trump, Trump took over and things were going great. And you can sit there and bicker back and forth as to who was the one who really did things for the economy, but in the end, it was the economy that was functioning the way it does and really didn't have a whole lot to do with the presidents beyond the policies they signed instead of the rhetoric they used. And it happens over multiple presidencies worth of time, uh, multiple um, uh, four-year periods before you get a full result of whatever changes have been made. Well, I I, kind of disagree with that because when you start looking at, like, uh, immigration – there was this massive push to like try to prove that Trump can't handle the border or whatever back in 2018. Well, yeah, but so he had an effect on immigration more than he had an effect on the economy because of immigration. But but even then, right, that effect on the economy did. Was sit lar- there. That was largely driven by other policy. Was kind of the point is that the, the sensitivity to immigration for the unemployment value is not as significant as the. And again, you we. That has been graded, like not in terms of like school grades, but graded as in terms as in metrics on an exponential curve. So the exponent might need to be tweaked a little bit. All, all of those things are are fine fine criticisms. Of so the just model. as a point to where but, you know the the extreme between the initial first principles model and where the application is coming in, just to to, to bound it from both ends. The right. practical side of things says that you know we were able to absorb ridiculous amounts of people over time, and not have the unemployment vary 
as sensitively to that as it was sensitive to other economic factors. And and all of that all of that's true. And all sure. of those, those kinds of uh, you know we we could investigate what those numbers yeah. are, whether it's really a one to one or something like that. Those are all true. But the other problems that you have is that that you know jobs aren't static; they are dynamic. Yeah. So if there's fewer people to hire, then wages go up, which is now really we also we also for instance didn't include something that's very significant over in California, which is migrant workers. Uh, people who are actually paid very, very, very well, by the way. Um, so these are not illegal immigrants. These are people who come across the border seasonally to do things like like harvest uh, a crop. Uh, and they'll they'll show up for like six to eight weeks, make a boatload of money, you know, like $25, $30 an hour, get their ass back across the border, and that will be all the money that their family needs for a whole ass year. Yep. And they work hard. Yeah. They're, they're very fucking hard workers. But you know, they don't need to be there for the entire time that they're they're growing the crop. But once the crop needs harvesting, they need hands because they only have like a few weeks to harvest things before uh, stuff's done. And, and so, so one of the, the the other points about this is, and and I'm gonna move into one of the other topics that that, that we've has kind of cop should come up in the last couple of weeks that we didn't really cover last week is. In comparison to immigration, which we can come up with first principle models and develop numbers and have discussions about the what what the assumptions built into these numbers are, whether this applies or that applies, this becomes very difficult when you start doing uh, applying these kinds of approaches to other social problems like the concept oh, yeah. of reparations, right? Like how do we calculate that problem? Because what you're going to have is there is no way to physically calculate those numbers. Well, I mean, right? so then you're running into the things of describe. Well, you run into but, some really bad problems of blood deaths there. You know, you've got the people that right. died to uh, to fix this problem. I mean, are they to be repaid for their uh, for what they're well, owed? That's something you know? that's not typically brought up now, is it? I mean, they, what they, about my family? Things. My people, I, I mean, people in my family died to free these people and to free the South from the Southern rule. Yeah. I mean, will we be repaid for our blood well, debt? Oh, yeah, but, but uh, uh, Kendi says that you uh, – that you still benefit from from being the person who the, descended from people who did that. The the better the better question when it comes to calculating these values is what is what is an appropriate wage for uh, you know a group of people that for all intents and purposes a first off and I'm not talking about like they would have spent it but fortunes have come and gone in the periods of time since slavery occurred. Right. Like many families were rich and are no longer rich, and many families have been made rich since then. So arguing that somehow there's this debt that's owed doesn't even make sense because we're so far removed from it. Well, so here's, here's what should I see we from... calculate it? Should we calculate it as a baseline of differentials in America in overall wealth, or should we calculate it as a differential between uh, the, the Africans who remained in Africa and African Americans? And that's well, going to so not produce the positive result for you. But that's not a very funny positive though, one at all. Because you could probably assume, you could probably say that Benin was far more responsible for slavery than any of the people who came by and bought slaves from Benin. But that's a separate thing entirely. So, so what I've seen as a as a cogent argument that wasn't just based on emotion and anger. If there's was, there there is um, for reparations is that the American the United States government made a promise and broke it and owed a debt. And I can say, okay, I can see that. What was, um, what was the promise and the debt? Let's just say that 
a, there was a there's a presumptive situation where a promise was made and then broken. But but what was the promise that was made? Reparations. When was that promise made? When they freed slaves. I don't remember them making that promise. I don't remember that being again. Presume let's presume that the forty acres and a mule thing was was made and somehow broken, like something. Well, the Homestead Act is still in place. Like you can still right. grab your, you can still technically grab your forty acres. Yeah, if you were a slave. No, um, I mean you can still grab it today. Like the Homestead Act has not been retired. Again, let's just presume that somehow this, there's a promise that was made, because that was that's not the only thing that's brought up. Let's just moving past that. There was a promise that was made that was then broken, but it wasn't directly to you. That's where people start. That's where there's there's a lot of discussion and to have. Is, that's, is, that's where issue, I think yeah. that things break down. So if you look at reparations, uh, say let's let's go with the Japanese internment camps. Reparations were made directly to people who were affected. Yes, and that's that is something Germany and fair. look at Germany and Europe and Jews, which were two separate categories that were affected. Well, three separate categories actually that were affected by the Nazi establishment. Direct reparations were made. And no, other, no further reparations are possible. So you can't. I can't show up there and say a family tree were killed at Dachau and Auschwitz, and and then demand reparations from the German government. I'm sure there would be a lot of sympathetic retards over there who would say, "Oh, but let's hear them out in court," and then I would go through the court motions and lose. But the point stands that direct reparations have been made, and no indirect reparations were made in that sense. There have been and, and, some campaigns for them, but they fail, and then they definitely fail in the practical implementation. And there is there is a legitimate argument in my mind of sitting there and, and paying reparations just to make the problem go away and be like, we're done, right? No more. So that's right? where a lot of the times the you indirect... can't play the race card, you can't play the the racism yeah. card, the the whole entire so thing. Like we're done. Through. You're that's over. Where, that's where the indirect uh, reparations have have done their thing, and the problem is that the problem never goes away, and that's why you end up going through maybe one or two iterations of it where they just get stonewalled and say they say no more. So well, it, in, in, the problem in that is, sense, there are people who can document it in, in a documented fashion, prove their lineage back to people who were slaves in the United States. But even then, how do you, what is the actual value that you're going to place on that? Because yeah, at the sure. end of the day, Assuming, assuming that they weren't on the plantations, you'd still have them competing directly with the other people of the time. Well, this goes back the to common denominator wage. I mean, you'd, you'd sit there and go yeah. allow the white people to go back and say, okay, well, how wealthy is the average population here from this? But without without going into those weeds just yet, without going into those weeds just yet, if we're talking about how to define a methodology towards arriving at a number, this is the concrete group of people that you definitely know. Right. We're promised something, and again, by presumptions, this is an assumption here, by presumptions, what they were promised, and generations later can trace back their ancestry to these people who were promised something and denied. And, so and the issue, that the issue is a definable value, that is a definable quantity of people. That's a, the assumption that's being derived here. Now, and, and to be fair, I don't believe 40 acres and a mule was a reparations thing from the United States government. Right. That was part of the Homestead Act, which, like I said before, is still technically in play. If you want to go out into the Midwest 
Yeah. You can technically petition oh, under so, the Homestead Act for a mule and 40 acres. But so that, that is the – that is a um, – You have to actually work the land. So so that is a – that is a, a – that is usually euphemistically used to encompass a, a wider a wider set of promises that were made that includes um, uh, reparations that were promised on a state level as compelled by the uh, 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 the hell is it called reconstruction period. Uh, the reconstruction period still. I'm pretty sure that reparations were never part of any actual agreement that was entered into or I contracted. Not necessarily the United States government. Like I, do. I don't even think the state governments did, right? So, because again. at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the South wasn't really big fan of what happened. No, they there. weren't, but they, they were also big fans of getting Abraham Lincoln's uh, uh, pet project to stop crushing them. Uh, I suppose. So I suppose. the state governments under Republican leadership would capitulate as that became a growing phenomenon until – Towards the end I, of the nineteenth, uh, and maybe maybe if you could prove all of that and go back and actually uh, air it out in the courts and everything else, sure. that would be fine. But so again, my presumption again, here, a built, a built a built up assumption set. By this presumption, there is a definable quantity of people that are eligible for some sort of reparations. So there is a way to define a a class and category sure. of people. Sure, there Not is. Not necessarily one that encompasses everyone. But there's but, a way. To, there's a way to at least say, okay, we can hit. Let's just call it 80 percent, 90 percent of these people who are theoretically impacted. We can. It, it, and that's that's possible, but I don't think the claim has to do with a specific uh, contract that was struck by a specific. Well, case so this here's, here's where it gets interesting for me. I, is, I haven't heard anybody make that argument. I've heard here's, black people yeah. are owed reparations for slavery as a general asset class. So this kind is of what all. Gets, this, where it gets interesting for me is as I know several people actually that are uh, that, so if you look up on Twitter you can find all going to be the way I just my people I know as friends but they'll call themselves uh, ADOS or ADOS uh, or sorry, American Descendants of Slaves okay there you go so right. Americans, American Descendants of Slaves ADOS Look that shit up on Twitter. You'll find a whole wide variety of people with very different views that have a lot of very different things to say. But I know several people who can trace back their lineage. They know that back in the past there were slaves in their family. Most people that I you see in this, this group, a lot that you're going to see firing off shit on Twitter are fairly conservative, successful women. Mm. Fairly conservative, fairly successful, and there's a debate reparations or not. And I know a couple of people are just like, yeah, we should we should basically as far as I can tell for a lot of them, it's fill up the uh, conversation. Just hey shit happened. It was finally and dealt with and done with here and now. I'm having a little I bit of issue with you tonight, Mike. Uh, you're you're cutting out a little bit on me. I've been noticing cutting out too. Is it him or me? I haven't had you cut out. No, I'm only having Craig so cut out. Okay. okay, all right. Because because that was driving me nuts. I'm always assuming my headset's a giant pile of shit. I've been I've been hearing it. I've been hearing from both of you guys. So it's definitely me. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. You've been kind of cutting oh, in and out a little bit here, and I've it's 
I, I'm, I'm just wondering if something was wrong. I'm trying to speak a little slower so that my syllables come through. Okay. I'm sorry cool. about that. Yeah, no problem, no problem. I mean, they're coming through that's when right. they come through. It's just sometimes that's, they stop. That's correct. But the, so, so I heard most of your argument, which is there's right. this group of people that can tra- translate their heritage back. Yeah, and, and again, pointing out that there there are people who definitely can do this, and it's interesting because a lot of the conservative and fairly successful people that are largely looking to close the argument out so that it's no longer a thing. And I can I, I can get that. I, and, and that and is reasonable. Too. I can too. Again. Though where where I come in is is the actual calculated value of what should or should not well, have been transferred. You know, obviously, they're not looking for twenty dollars and a handshake. You know? Well, that would be kind of insulting, wouldn't you think? Well, again, no, that, that that's kind of the point, though, right? Is is like, if if you have a contract that was made and broken, and you can trace back to the contract being made or broken. You'd also have to split that up amongst all of your ancestors, right? So let's well, say it was 40 years ago, and you have 40 ancestors like, between here and 160 years ago. Well, guess what? Each one of you guys gets a, an acre and a, a 40th of a mule. Well, here, here's some more groups of people that were similarly affected. Or, were not – that are – well, actually, funny enough, not, not the black reparations community to talk about either. Um Italians, Jews, Polish, Irish, Irish, Scottish, Scottish. Well, Scottish is small. Scottish were not so badly affected. Yeah, not Irish. Oh, oh contrary, my not, friend. Not so badly as say the other four. I would say, I'd say arguably, but if fine, five groups there right away. Five um, groups of people that were so with the Irish and the the Polish especially, but. Just Irish, we can start off with here because it's so egregious. People used to want slaves because uh, – people used to want Irish people because slaves were too expensive. Uh, and yeah. Irish people would come over and work their indentured servitude, their seven-year contracts, and they would uh, work them to death before their contract was up and they were owed nothing. Yep, and uh, that, was, yeah. that was actually very common, especially when, amongst the iron work. Some of the pre, there. Pre-end of slavery in the north. Yep, yep. Um, so, yeah. so they would they, typically, if you yeah. uh, an iron works would uh, would grab somebody from an indentured servitude, and this could be actually somebody who was not technically entering into it of their own free will. Well, so, uh, you can think of the people who brought them over on boats as being kind of like the coyotes of the south right now. Yeah. When someone yeah. comes over the border, oftentimes they are already sold into their slavery job, which That's you don't correct. know about because they're illegal aliens and not tracked properly. That's and correct. this is and not even talking about the more the horrifying jobs they get sold it. into. Yeah, so this is where this kind of ties into today is because the, think about it. In about 50 years, these people who might be naturalized in by fiat, uh, they might be coming back to the government saying, hey, man, uh, we got fucked here. You want to give us some money because we got sold over the border and a lot of our family members died. Uh, well, and, and again, again all, all of that's going to come down to that's a good reason why we should nip it in the bud. Right. Right? Like, oh, sure enough. The, truthfully – Truthfully, I really struggle with sitting there and asking people who never owned slaves to pay people who never were slaves money for slavery. So that's where the, the, uh, the, the argument that it's the government that made the promise and failed to keep it, or the government that fucked up, is, is where that's being made. And it's, not, where to, it's, not being t- it's not being said that the people specifically are the ones responsible, but that the people as a whole – 
via the government that wrote the laws and enforced the laws. Uh, but again, you're the, the people who are going to pay the bill are not the government. The government is a right. series of elected representatives. But that's why they're laying the responsibility at the government's feet, because it's the government that was the source of the laws and practices. And obviously, the government at the end that was keeping that was like after slaves got crushed. Uh, yep. from the rest of the government for its own fought a war and fucking failed miserably. Yep. Thank God. And so, and, and the consequence that. of that is that there was no promise. Right, yeah, yeah, no okay, okay. Support, right. So, but again, so you, you still had this persistence for these um, these con these these usurious contracts with human lives at stake. That came after the end of the war, yeah. in the north and the south. Well, and, and there's there's more to it than that too, right? Like yeah. the south switched over from slavery to sharecropping, which is just right. slavery with extra steps, except that involved white people and black people. So you'd yeah. have to then sit there and simultaneously demonstrate that the sharecroppers so, didn't actually deserve stuff because they still got whipped and beaten and all the other things. Presumably, though, you could have that discussion. So say you could define a group of people that were definitely eligible for some kind of reparations were you to give them. Step A, done. You could do that, yep. Step B, okay, at what point do we draw the line for where these you – know, if, if it's promises made and not kept, when were the promises made, we can address those. Fine. Yep. If it's not specific to that, at what specific date is it plausible to define a time period which – the uh, the main problem to the, a degree that is acceptable to these people, and they have to they have to agree to something like this. At what point is it in time is it acceptable to say, okay, this is when we should move forward from to calculate some result? So there's definitely going to be a, a there's definitely going to be some group of people you can define, and there's definitely going to be some date that will be agreed upon before things move forward. But then you're going to also have to come up with a total sum, right, of, of actual injury, right? Right, yeah. And that's, that's going to be very true. difficult because at the end of but the day – But then you at least have to cut down to a definable quantity of people to start from. Sure. You can start and, and making methodological changes there. That's good to have the injured class. That's true. Right. right? And of you course, can even have a class to action lawsuit that defines the entire thing. At that sure, point. absolutely, absolutely. But then you'd have to sit there and come up with the actual value of what's transferred right. over. And intergenerational wealth over hundreds of years is very One rarely – The best thing, though, is now if you go back to the – if you go back to the, uh, the principle of parties being restored. So – People injured would be the, anse the ancestors, and the owed amount would be paid out to their descendants, presumably. Sure. All have right. to define whatever schedule they use to, to get the payout, divided okay. among people however but they see fit. None of that. Time. None of that addresses the core question of. Well, that, that that no, that does. That's, That's the, no, how. That, well, so here, here's how it narrows it down, at least, right? It, it does. It narrows it in, and it gives you a way where you have a range that you can define, and then you can say, all right, somewhere in here. Well, no, not that we again, know those numbers today, but just saying again, you can't get a range. We, the, 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 the actual costs can't be calculated. Sure, the actual you, people you can, affected, you have you can people limit the class. Hands. You can limit the class, and you can even define No, 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 no. It's a separate class that I'm talking about here because this is what actually defines the payout, right? Defines the actual injury and the cost. The people who are descendants, they descend from some group of people who are directly injured by the events, whatever sure. the events were and whatever time they came, 
there are people who are directly affected. If you go sure. by the principle of direct res restoration to the injured parties, which is how all, basically all other forms of reparation have happened, then this subclass in time is definable and quantifiable, and that is the extent of injury in terms of the you're, you're time and you're still not defining the actual way in which we calculate the sum payment. But right? it's narrowed it in so that you can't sit there and extend it over generations in an and unquantifiable that's, way. That's, that's it's quantifiable that's, now. That's advantageous, but it still doesn't change the fact of what is the actual value. That so we've, we've gotten from the people who are affected, we've gotten people who are affected, when people were affected in the past that defined the people who are affected. We've gotten to the people who are directly affected, and now we can talk about how are they affected and what is the cost? So to a certain extent, you have to define what is the, the say, average cost of a person's life over the number of years they were affected. Well, I mean, you'd have to define that in that time frame with that period of reference. Sure. Which is ultimately not very much. Sure. And you could even, you could even say that. 20, like I said. 20 bucks in a handshake may be generous. If right. You it's, go that's back to the that thing is, is – so if you go ahead and say, all right, well, let's define them in the context of other people who are working at the time, and it might it might bump that up. You might get you might get thirty dollars in a handshake. I, I, I mean, real, well, I mean, realistically though, what a lot of people don't, we're we're sitting there and you you get all of these folks who are coming in from the left, and they're looking at today's values and today's wages. And what a lot of people yeah. need to understand is, especially in the <laughs> South, we weren't this prosperous back then. Yeah, human human life once had a much lower value. Sadly. I'm sorry. It, let's let's talk about like when slavery ended. Um, we didn't have a lot of this country, did we? Uh, nope. And we certainly sure didn't have a lot of the resources. Well, and, and, uh, and even then, the reason that we we utilized slavery was we didn't have machines and we didn't have electricity and we barely barely productivity skyrocketed. Yeah. So yeah. if you go back, let's let's even go back to another thing we were discussing just recently. Here, let's say we grade things on an exponential curve, but we still grade them in the context of the full entire curve of the that is relevant. So if you start talking about these people's wages and, and lost lost earnings, lost, uh, we can even skip part of the livelihood argument to say they didn't get paid for their work. They had a livelihood, whatever. You know, let's say that everybody had a grateful and honest and, and thankful master that just didn't pay them anything, which we know is bullshit. But let's just say that that terrible argument was made. Well, fine. That's just that's lost wages over the entire time that these people were directly affected right there and then. Not even counting the ancestors that came before them that, that stepped off the boat, you know? Just I mean, I, at the same time, arguably, you can you can make the you can make the argument that slaves were better taken care of and had better uh, no, it's, status it's not all than tango. other folks down there. Like you know, so so one thing people just think, and this is one of those those points of, of angry angry uh, contention, and which I yeah, it's fascinating and it's very tragic at the same time. There were the people who were the house slaves, mm -hmm. and there were the field workers, and they were treated very very differently. And one of the things you would not be able to do reliably nowadays, because even the ancestry can be somewhat sketchy, but let's, again, we've, we've already narrowed down to people who have def definitive, concrete um, lineage established. You can't necessarily, like, you'd be very hard-pressed to find people who definitely had the same level of, of, uh, of known ancestry in this, at, this, at the same scope, who also know the job status among the hierarchy that their it, it, ancestors had. 
but the the point that I was trying to make is that when uh, we yeah, actually right. compare it to non, when we t- talk about your general day laborer down in the south, yeah. at that period of time, it is very very plausible that the slaves were actually taking had better care taken of them than somebody else, and that's because they did have yeah. uh, they they did have a roof over their head, they did get medical care because it's expensive to replace them. Uh, and then uh, on top of that, they still got food, and that was not – those guarantees were things that were not present yeah. for most of the folks that were so, down there. I'm not so saying if, that they, if you want to go that route, we could also talk about prisoners and prison labor today. Yep, yep. Um, if that be – that's a corollary, not yep, a direct one be. because they didn't do anything wrong besides get off a boat or yep. be born. Well, I mean – For the most yeah. part, we could say yeah. that. Yeah, I guess so. For the vast majority of people, they weren't enslaved or, or sold off for day labor because they did something royally fucked up. They just – Happened to be there, wrong place, wrong time. Well, I mean, they, they were they were captured by by folks and shipped on a boat, and it was all right. part of the normal culture of them. Or they were time. born after the fact. So, I mean, yeah, it, wrong place, yeah, wrong and time. that's yeah. The, the chattel slavery is a whole separate kettle kettle of fish. Yeah. But the, the the transatlantic slave trade was, uh, you know, when we started looking at that, was kind of that, a that thing was, of the times. Yeah, that was kind of a thing of the times. Although and you it, could say the it, same ship today, couldn't you, over in the Middle East? Uh. Was it, as bad? was it as bad? Uh, in certain places, it's it's as it's worse. There are more people enslaved in Africa and the Middle East today than were ever enslaved in the entire history of the United States. Yeah, but I mean, our population is perpetually growing, so that's kind no, of no, no, no. Period. The yeah, entire yeah, history yeah, of the United yeah, States. Like, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Since and the forever. fact there were far more slaves that were down in South America than were ever in the United States. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a really kind of complicated thing. Oh yeah. yeah, dude. Like I, I a, thought a big chunk of Brazil was was slave. Oh, oh, you're uh, talking sure. about historically. I'm, I, 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 I mean, thought you were talking history about of the United like, States shipped over during tra- for transatlantic slave trade in the yeah. United States far less than in South America and yeah. far less over the entire period of slavery in the United States than exists as slaves in Africa and the Middle East today. Yep. So. That should give you an idea of the scope and scale. And the thing is that this is human misery we're talking about here. It's, you know, it's not something you sit there, uh, you reduce it down to numbers. It feels inhuman, it feels inhuman because it kind of is. No, I, I disagree. And, numbers, you know, numbers. We would say that any slave is too, any, one slave is too many, sure. You know, well, unless you're kind of that in the bedroom. At the but same don't, time, don't you, here. you could also go back and say that if they weren't enslaved over here, they would have been enslaved over there. Well, right. this, is, well, this is basically true. And, and that's kind of the, the problem that you had, is that fundamentally this was tribal war. So when you start talking right. about who's technically at fault, the question is where I mean, does the origin begin? The problem is that this, this – so here's where this argument opens up to somewhat, somewhat horrible things, is people will take this argument to say that uh, people, the, the, uh, people who are Afri- – <laughs> I keep saying it, it's, it's not true. People who are American descendants of slaves. I mean, they are, for the most part, yeah, they are African descendants of slaves too, but they're Americans. The American descendants of slaves, like, they, you know, uh, they got shipped over, sure. You can talk about the tribal warfare and all that stuff, like, but people will come in and say, all right, so radically from being enslaved in the U.S. instead of enslaved in Africa that they shouldn't get reparations. Which is and which is a completely it's a fundamentally opposed argument. Well, and that's that's kind of the thing is, and that was what I was going. And at you'll earlier. find and you'll find people who, if, 
even call themselves racist. Like in, in, you'll find them in both political parties here, just to get started on that. But like, you'll find people who don't even think of themselves as being racist that think, yeah, reparations shouldn't be a thing because these kids will they're here now, they're successful or not successful by their own merits today, and and they're you know they might, a lot of them are doing well, so why should we care? Well, I, I mean, the the more fundamental argument is that at the end of the day, how do you, again, how do you calculate the damage, right? So if the damage is calculated yeah. by comparing the origin country to the final country, that, you know, that would be pretty disgusting. <laughs> it would, but, but it would be it would also be a fair comparison. Well, that's the thing I was saying before, though, is if you go back and you look at the people who are directly affected, it would be the last people online before slavery ended. Instead of the first people who showed up, that's and if you get the last people online, they were affected in the context that they are that they are yep. being affected, which is here, not there. And, and that's that's which the is why most, I brought that up. The, the argument that you've presented is the most reasonable and coherent one that I've heard. So I haven't actually heard that argument kind of made patched, by most people. That's kind of patched together through several observations and and discussions I've had. But it's it's definitely not like any one person that I've gotten that from. That's that's if I were to try to assemble from discussions and observations uh, a reasonable way of describing a, a functional argument towards a definable methodology, that would be kind of the basis for it. And then it would be expanded or, or contoured from there. But again, like, like you have people who are in, con in the context they're being affected. And in that context, there's a certain there would be wages for day labor, and you have the entire time that they were uh, they were doing labor, which you could even call their entire life up until freedom. Sure. And in that sense, there's definitely a way for that specific knowable quantity of people what the injury was, and you know you can quibble over which number you use to define the cost of their labor and the time of their labor. Sure, but there is a way that that is a there is a, there are maximum limits on that. I, and again, I think I think that you can kind of get to what you're talking about as long as you're going back to the original contract that yeah. was made and there was something that was broken. Yeah. But if you actually go back to the the or like the people who were in slavery, who are they owed compensation by? That's not oh, technically I mean, so the government. That would be who whatever owner it was that they were going yeah. for, and they'd have to go for. And that's the thing is, is if you go if you go back to the standing argument. Right. You will not find a group of people living today that they could claim to have standing against besides the federal right. and the state governments. But even then, even then, again, the, uh, the 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 federal government at the time that they were slaves is no more. It's that's gone. That, no, that's the thing is is you could you could even go back to the point before we had a slavery race. And you can say, okay, at this point, if we're not going to go by the Emancipation Proclamation, we could say, okay, a few well, years the less, a few years less of pay. Well, let's, you know, we could say, all right, we could go a few years less of pay on the payout so that we could get a more definable date, if that's the way that we get to a definable date. And say, uh, all right, the election of Abraham Lincoln, call that the day when the, when the South seceded. But... At the end of the day, it's all, it is all substantially much more muddy than doing a calculation even on something like immigration, as has been demonstrated by the fact well, that – I mean, I bet you it's, in, it's multiple 
trillions of dollars. If we're talking about something that's going to make our current uh, national debt look like pennies. I, I disagree. I don't think it would be worth trillions of dollars. I think that even if we did all of those okay. defining characteristics, like I'm, you're not I'm, I'm just getting a sentiment here. I don't have a necessarily a defined sense of scale on this either. You know, I, well, I, I mean, just kind it, of patch together some shitty methodology that may or may not work. It even if, give we, you even a, if we defined it, you still couldn't turn around and say, "Hey, yeah, this is this plus interest," right? Right. So you you you'd at most be able to claim a wage a common wage at that time minus housing and medical care costs and all the other stuff. So, like, what the, what an average person outside of slavery would technically make as an income, as a net income, knowing that they didn't really have access to banking and they didn't really have access to the stock market and there really wasn't investment at the period of time. Then dividing that amongst all the relatives, by the time you're done, it wouldn't be very much. 20 or 30 bucks and a yeah, handshake is yeah, kind of a pit. It really would be. Well, like, that's, again, that's a lot of times, that's, that's actually a very common argument, by the way. Um, and it's like in this, and again, there's there's nothing like about race involved here besides yep. the, the way the trade was set up with with uh, the the people who were catching them in Africa. Um, just happens to be the way it is. Like, it's it's a common argument that you since you can't define it, or it'd be, too, it'd be so little that it would almost feel like a slap in the face. Why hey, bother? Well, and I think I think at the end of the day, from what I've seen from the people who generally make the reparations argument, they're making the argument because they believe somehow that it would radically transform their lives and they would be doing better. You know, and that's the thing. Uh, I find really a lot are. of a lot of people do do still think that, and regardless of how, you know, there's always going to be that that partial emotional attachment to it, regardless of how well reasoned you come to a value. Yep. You know, and, and part of it might simply be. A way of evading a, a, an upbringing of this virtual persecution. Well, you I, know, I, I that, you're, you're, that you are somehow less than because you came from, which, I, I which is entirely internally instilled. Not, it's not an externalization. It's largely a recognition of self that is not fully addressed. I suspect that more often than not, the argument for monetization. Yeah. predominantly comes as uh, basically the, the, the hindrance of slavery is largely a case of people who are trying to blame an external factor for their lack of success rather than the internal factors. And, you know, for a lot of people, to launch. for a lot of people, I could easily, well, it's not that easily, it's for a lot of people, it's definitely true. Yep. And, and by the way, this isn't have, like, a, like a black thing. If you actually no, encounter white people all. that have failed the launch, they will blame everybody and their brother but themselves. There, there are entire trailer parks full. There are entire. I have, I have, fa I have a and, family and whole, members who whole, fall uh, into that category. Whole, whole entire segments underneath the bridge. Yeah, uh, I, I have. Boys. I have family members who literally have gone to therapy and blamed their parents for their terrible upbringing. Meanwhile, you know. Uh, yeah, that's certain, not paying for therapy. Certain individuals are happily working in very high levels of employment with you know the top of their career kind of thing right so it's it's not people do this all the time it's not a black thing or a white thing so when it comes to reparations i just see it as an well, excuse which is actually one it used to be a cliche it used to be an irish cliche why are you down at the pub oh i could have had something are you serious that's an actual cliche yeah you know had my had my parents not sent me out i would have been fine Ah. Hmm. 
now here I am doing what my father did down at the pub. Well, so, so and, and like, you know, this is different families have different freights. So my family came here as, uh, well, apparently, uh, like, I was always under the, I was raised under the impression that we actually came over as indentured servants. Uh, and that apparently was not true. We came through Ellis Island. My wife actually found the records for it. Oh, cool. Yeah, she did. Uh, well, that so, still kind of easily meant that you guys had problems. <laughs> well, apparently, but, like, like our research originally came back to the war of, uh, what is it, uh, the war with the, the English crown. And my clan, a large portion of it likely came over at uh, the time. But it's not my family tree. So it's very likely that they got put into the Saugus Ironworks and worked there two years before falling into a molten iron pit because OSHA wasn't really a thing back then. Right. Um, but, you know, you start taking a look at something like my family and uh, my family's history, my great-grandfather, I think it's my great-grandfather, either my great-grandfather or my great-great, my great-great-grandfather and great-great-great-grandfather started an ice house business back in the late 18 or the the mid 1800s that was very so not the beer no like the actual like a physical ice house which is how they used to handle it they would cut yeah. ice out of the lake for, for people who didn't know this used to be how modern refrigeration worked uh you you literally right. put ice in your larder or which would be uh or, or your cellar same right. thing really and so, uh, the entire place was freezing which is why all cellars were freezing at the time yep so uh, 1920s rolls around, and the invention of refrigeration comes along with it, and all of a sudden the ice house business didn't do so well. So my great-grandfather uh, basically went up and took the entire family's inheritance and spent it at the bar. And so my grandfather uh, ended up having to drop out of school, swept floors at GE, and eventually worked his way up to be head machinist. My father worked for most of his entire life at GE as an uh, aerospace engineer, and now I'm a nuclear engineer. So, like, I mean, the, the, the point that I'm trying to make here is that over a period of time of 80 years, the idea of sins of the father really just breaks down because people will succeed or fail on their own. You can yeah. easily trash a, you know, and, and my, my family's ice house business was like the entire Northeast uh, at the time. Damn. So you can go from a small empire to nothing with well, the advent of new technology. And similarly, you can go from nothing to a small empire with the advent of new technology. So or a large my, empire in the case my, of Facebook. Um, my great-grandfather and his wife uh, separately managed to come over um, through, through Ellis Island memory serves uh, between world wars when uh, shit was in the fan. And, uh, you know, so they like oh shit and they got out and uh, other parts of the family were not so lucky uh, so uh, see mother's maiden, uh, maiden name was Blumberg so that was the area of uh, of Germany that they came through that, that you know so at the time when he came into Ellis Island he had a foreign name and they, they heard you speaking gibberish they just went ahead and named you uh, based on the town you came from yep so, um, or, or they would bastardize the original name. Yeah. Or... And so if you go and you look at, actually, my mom recently found it, uh, tiny-ass town, which is now in what's, what's called Poland, uh, but at the time was not there. Um, That's the last stop before people came over here. Uh, 
found that recently, share that with me, which I, you know, it's fascinating and all. But basically, uh, they came over to the United States speaking fuck all for English and made an insurance company. Yep. Sold it, had enough money to be able to support a family and so on. Kept doing that kind of stuff for a while. You know, uh, grand, grandparents, um, my grandmother was uh, one of those real Americans. Uh, ran away from her husband, or at the time, I guess, uh, when my mom was 16. Um, and she actually had my mother when she was 16. So, yeah, really. My wife's family is actually from Poland as well, which is, you know... I like the Polish. They're, they're a sensible well, thing is, it's funny because my family three on that side went around, both, took both directions around the Mediterranean. So I'm, I'm asking yeah. out of the Antarctic on that yeah. side. Um, yeah, so they met in the middle in fucking Poland. <laughs> and then, uh, and then, then there was a crazy, crazy uh, ex-painter. Uh, he got told it looked like shit, so he went on a rampage and killed. You know all what's dudes. really sad is I've actually seen some of the stuff that he like submitted. It was not terrible. It was garbage, though. Oh, it was. I mean, it it was no worse than Thomas Kincaid. It was garbage. Maybe better than. No, he, he went. All right, look. He went. He was trying to get his ass into an art school, and was. And he was. He thought very highly of his own art. It so, was, he probably he submitted, more highly of it than it actually was. When he but submitted that shit, terrible. when he submitted that shit as a portfolio and got rejected, I mean, he could have easily been a person who dyed his hair blue today, right? Well, you know, and, Talking and a vegan who decided to nationalize the infrastructure because the people were too poor. Going going back with individuals who blame external events on their <laughs> own internal failures. <laughs> that was kind or, of a big one. Let's, let's 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 restate state that as external people. So so basically, what we're saying here is that you could go, you could either be a person who blames himself at a trailer park, or you could try to murder all the Jews. Or or Somewhere in between. What, what, I was, what I was going with, or you know, let's let's be the the edge lords that we truly are. Oh you boy. could be a victim that is in need of reparations, or you could mm-hmm. be an evil dictator who conquers the world. I mean, so, you I gotta, wonder. Gotta, you gotta, there is so much potential. I, you gotta wonder though, like what happens if, they, if the United States government does agree to reparations and they end up paying in potatoes? <laughs> or cotton. <laughs> oh my god. There you go. Holy shit. Well, yeah, I mean, at that point, you may as well say, well, how about paying it back in shekels? <laughs> oh my god. Christ. <laughs> Oh, sigh. I mean, all of that was bad. It wasn't just you. That was, that there was, was willing participants yeah. on all sides there. We we were. We were. That's okay. That's okay. We we have to have one yeah. one moment for, for the uh, for the social justice people out there who are currently writing furious notes to their legislators. This is screening our calls. That's all for, it is. For, for the people out there who are currently writing their legislators about how podcasts should all be banned, uh, the reason why that was hilarious is because it was so fucking awful. Not because we actually thought it was a good idea. Did you have to explain it? I mean, you know, for some, you, you, I wonder that today very often. 
Oh, sigh. Kind of for some people, really, people really do. Uh, you know, it's 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 very strange because all of my friends, I, I don't I don't have any black friends, but I have like no white friends, uh-huh. and certainly no like wasp friends. Nobody falls into that category. Uh-huh. So everybody everybody's either like Jewish or Asian right now in my <laughs> friend circle. It's it's really weird. That's because uh, they're all successful. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, put up up. Oh <laughs> uh, shit. Now, now, in contrast to what I said earlier, Craig actually means that. <laughs> ah. Um, but yeah, so so like I've I've always it's always funny because when you actually talk to people who are in these these groups that are like part of oppression quest, right? <laughs> all of them, all of them are like completely normal and joke about racial differences or religious differences nonstop and they are the most brutal on their own culture on your culture it's it's really funny <laughs> like, we were just talking about you, just, you, you got to hear the copper wire joke because i'm surprised you've never heard it before. i i have never heard of that i i so so were we on air when we did that i can't remember now. yeah we were yeah okay. yeah Wait, when it, when it, when that one's out there for posterity when it when it comes down to like actual uh, racial group stereotypes, I'm actually very poor with it. I've done a lot of my learning of uh, what is it slurs and everything else from the internet. You see it and you're like, all right, what is that? And then you end up going to like the Urban Dictionary definition, <laughs> and writing immensely everything that you've chosen to do up until that point. Um, the nicest one I think I encountered was SJW. That is the nicest thing that I have found on the internet in terms of like clean comments but i, I actually i don't I funny don't enough a lot of, like the stereotypes i really don't it's not my thing i take people as they are and well, I say, who do you are, go to for the best ethnic jokes the ethnicities themselves all the exactly. time exactly if you want to know the best jew jokes go talk to a jew you want to know the best black jokes go talk to a black guy oh, i will trust you on that it's been a while, it's been a while since I've had a black. Person. Oh, dude, the funniest shit is when they go when they uh, they fuck with you with the angry black man thing. Oh yeah, that's fun. I, I oh. and like I said, I, it's been that, a long time, but it's always fun. They get like they act like super raged out. And you're like, holy and shit! Just and, just say, and then all of a sudden they just like they they get yeah. they're like I'm fucking with you. Just, you're, you're cool. And you're like, holy shit! Like, hey, I thought you guys shit your pants, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. I, I can uh, say I'm lucky enough not to have really dealt with that because, well, I don't know. Any of the black folks I've ever hang out with, uh, they've been smart enough to know not to try and do something. So. I, you know, it, it's really funny when it happens, and they only do it once. Like, once they oh, get yeah. you once, it's well, they like... Well, they know you're going like, to question it next time. Right. They, they, they do it. It's usually uh, usually within, like, the first hour and a half once they've decided they like you, but you're still a white guy. That's when mm. they decide to pull it, and then and then it's like cool from there on out, and then you're all like, yeah, yeah, and then you're an '80s cop movie. Yep, it is. It is. It is kind of like don't say. full with full of flesh wounds and uh, <laughs> random flashy weapons that aren't supposed right. to actually exist outside of theater. That's exactly right. Or uh, or you know, oh, right, no, except that's just in GTA nowadays. Now, uh, before uh, we're, we're it's getting kind of late. I imagine I could to make a really tasteless Columbine joke right now, but we'll pass on for the moment. <laughs> yeah. Do 
we want to talk about wrap up our night of of, of racial eccentricities with the George Floyd trial that's going. Well, actually, on. I think we should we should we can cover one more related thing there since since we're going that route, uh, which is nice to speak short. Is uh, poor DMX. Something um, about DMX. That guy went to a hospital after he had a heart attack because he had a drug OD. He's got no brain function and no brain activity, and so he's on life support. And oh, so he, yeah, he's basically he's a he's a steamed carrot right now. He's uh, yeah, he's. I was gonna make a joke about like I don't even know if he could try ECT to try and get his ass back alive. I don't think it would work. Um, yeah. So he he fried basically he fried his brain and yeah, caused a heart attack and now he's dead. But he's you know on life support. I mean he might not be, but it's pretty and, unlikely yeah, it's, with the way that things kind of went down. I, I I do not see him recovering from that. And so I, I would what we love gotta to be do, wrong because he's not a bad guy. Do is we got to run down to a Planned Parenthood, <laughs> grab a blender, <laughs> and give him give him the Chris Reeves treatment. <laughs> Don't do bleach, uh, kids. I'm going to hell, and it's going to be amazing. <laughs> and you're all coming with me. No, you know what? I figure. I figure uh, that, like, if I get stuck in heaven, how bored would that be? All problems are solved, and everything's made out of clouds. I go down to hell, and I get to work with raw materials and fire. Kids, by the way, make sure you go and. and uh, don't listen to your parents' advice if they even know about this. Listen to Dennis Leary's No Cure for Cancer soundtrack. Stand up. Oh, speaking of kids, since uh, I found this thing over the last week, and it was uh, brought up by Aubrey Gray, which is uh, uh-huh. I just, I'll relink it in the chat here, but I know that uh, Steve got a chance to look at this thing, and it's just freaking cool. Uh, it's uh, called um, Demon Poor. And I, I am... I know that they keep saying that they're not, like, a practical joke or they're not an April Fool's joke, but it really looks like an April Fool's joke. It kind of does come <laughs> off that way. 464. Yeah. yeah. The names, it's perfect. So So there's actually, there's um there's several things that are out there that are trying to do something akin to this. Actually, Linus Tech Tips covered recently one where, they tr- where there's a company that introduced, like, a, a way to bring scent into a, a VR gaming which was really cool. I mean, it's, huh. it's definitely it was, it was it was an alpha thing that was pitched to them, uh, but like it kind of worked, which was really cool. Oh, they they've been trying to do smell a vision for a while. Yeah, but like this is kind because VR requires you to stand up and do shit. Mm-hmm. This kind of was doing it. Like you have to be actively engaged in the room. It's not like you know you put your nose to a camera, but like it was kind of doing it. So it was interesting. I, I, I saw this, and I'll be honest, it really, like, I know they're saying that it's not an April Fool's joke, mm-hmm. but you scroll down through the whole entire thing, and it really reads like an April Fool's joke. A little bit. Especially when you get into the games, because they're, like, one of the games is going and sampling random bits of poo everywhere. <laughs> and that's, uh. that's a legitimate thing that they list, and there's no way that's serious. No way. Mechanical nanopores, huh? Yeah, and and they're still they're they're trying to do it as a game where you're doing samples and you're doing molecular analysis, and, and it's really cool. But there's only a handful of actual techniques that work really really well for this, and 
I'm not saying that it's impossible. I'm just saying. Well, if they're just, it looks like they're basically doing SOC microfluidics. I think they are. But, so system on chip. Right. People can catch that. So, um, so this, this is the same the, uh, an, an, an analog for this, which is admittedly here highly specialized and narrow in scope. So probably not necessarily related to this here. An analog for this uh, that is definitely used in industry is the same way that all these companies that do the gene analysis looking for SNPs in your genes. They use system on a chip microfluidics. They pass your spit sample after it's been highly diluted through a little kind of convoluted tube that sits on top of a piece of silicon wafer uh, that's you know been etched in certain kind of like a CPU, um, but it'll react to the presence of certain single nucleotide perturbations. So things that identify a variation in an entire gene. You know, so uh, not, not you're not getting a full sequencing of your 3 billion well, odd base pairs. You're getting 15,000 genes, that's it. And, and when we talk about this thing, they're talking about having the ability to do this with any number of compounds. Yeah, so and, it doesn't have to be DNA you're doing it with. Right, so, so again, this is all things that make me very skeptical of the project. Well, that costs I, a lot of money to get custom silicon like that. That's right. Thing. That's yeah, immediately. Like, it might not be a thing. Yeah, I, I'm I'm going with that, and then it has to be like you'd have like, to calibrate it. And there's a silicon shortage right now because all the fabs got fucked last year, yep. which was not going to be over for another couple of years. So I, I'm not I'm not I, I will say that I, I saw it. It's I'm going to include the link because it's neat and oh, um, that's a great it's idea. A, sounds like. Yeah, I mean, it's brilliant thinking, but... But you know, actually make the silicon and make it work. I, and I don't, I don't think it's... I, again, I still think that it's a, an April Fool's joke, even though they're trying to say that it's not an April Fool's joke. Well, I'm looking at, like, this thing here. You know, they, they have this valuation cap, but they got $16 million for this so far. I don't know if I'm reading this right. Maybe. Uh, like, I mean, I could easily see if you get enough money to, to do a piloting, like, you can get custom silicon at a small scale at shit resolution. Like, you know, we're talking going back to 100 nanometer process here. Um, you can get that kind of that kind of low-volume stuff at great expense still because it's such it's low-volume, but it's scalably low-volume. It can absorb uh, higher amounts of demand because they do specialty work. Okay. They're not doing specialty silicon. They're trying to write a chip that is going to generically detect this stuff, which very unlikely. Well, here's the thing. It's specialty silicon because they haven't made it yet. Or if they've made it, they've made it one or two of them. Like They, they haven't volume. I mean, you um, have to figure they've got some kind of prototype for this thing. Well, yeah, so what I'm saying is they can, like, that part at least still makes it plausible that they could have gotten the custom silicon done. It just, you know, it, it's just they wouldn't be Maybe. able to scale that. They wouldn't be able to scale that up, if even if they had optimized it in whatever way. They wouldn't be able to scale that up rapidly. Uh, even, taken up right now. Even then, I, you know, you're still talking about stuff that is. You're you're trying to put this into mass production. You're still not gonna. You're not gonna get like good calibration on it. You're not gonna get any of the the normal like. Mm -hmm. It, it just it really comes off to me like a scam. I'm not and saying it's possible, but it really looks like a scam because and, yeah. they're generically detecting stuff. 
well, here's the thing: is he is affordable. Ways he could kind of, you can kind of do that. Like if you had had certain functional moieties that were going to be detected, you know, your carboxyls, hydroxyls, etc. Sure. You can have those detected in certain relative amounts, and then find a way to, you know, AI or other means of uh, solving. To, to what the thing is, in all likelihood. But so, that's still not necessarily. So the problem here is still that, like, in, in, you're talking about this, like, in, in computer engineering world here, you're not going to be able to just slap an FPGA into a board, program custom silicon, even though you don't have it yet, and then have it work. You literally need the custom silicon because uh, system-on-a-chip microfluidics is not something that you can just kind of model with a piece of flexible hardware. You need the actual right. specific task-related hardware on hand. So, so for, for folks to, to give you an actual real-world example, we, my wife and I raised bees, and one of the things that I was interested in doing was trying to build a smart hive specifically to detect. Uh, I'd like to get to the point where hive inspections are not something that we have to do, where we're not going in, we're not breaking <laughs> the structure. Well, and we, can we want the bees. We just don't like the bees. No, it's, it's not that. It's that every time you go in, you kill dozens of them. You might accidentally kill the queen. Like, you're breaking up their entire hive structure. So, like, what I wanted to do was I wanted to do, hey, we're going to just do a handful of tests to determine whether a queen is in there or not. And when you start talking about the total queen pheromone, there's, like, 12 or 15 different ones in different concentrations. Mm -hmm. And trying to find the sensors that are available for each and every single one of those is going to be difficult. Having a generic chip that does all of them is going to be stupid expensive. And they're not cheap sensors. Like, gas sensors and liquid sensors are not cheap sensors. I can imagine. Because they get plugged up easy. So is is kind of to the point relevant here in a way that they could have actually done for relatively again relative is important here relatively cheap they could you know for whatever sensing they're going to be doing they could have done split input and just had um, uh, even if they were doing it as SOC instead of as a sensor tool uh, separate ways of sensing individual components such that they could, again, build up a library of knowns, unknowns, and have an identification mechanism. But, you know, and have the ultimate goal of building a single system, uh, system on a chip, microfluidics device. But again, they still need to actually make custom silicon at some point, which is expensive. And, you know, like I said, they can't, you can't just write an FPG, you can't just do some VHDF to an FPGA, and then come out with a piece of custom silicon you would order eventually. You need to actually have the hardware on hand because nobody does silicon interfaced microfluidics in this kind in that kind of modular capacity. You kind of have to have a piece of hardware on hand, or you have to have an in-house dev like Google and Facebook and Apple, and just make make their own silicon. Yeah, I, I yeah, mean, and, and what enough. I'm seeing is I'm seeing a team of three people. They have uh, assuming the credentials are true, I haven't looked any of these people mm -hmm. up. Um, but a team of three people, and none of them are electronics experts. They're all like micro sensing, and you know, like if you want, if you work with silicon yeah. interface microfluidics, you've got to have some sense of it. But Maybe. that should also come with the the same sense that you can't just like it, model the behavior. You, you're not going to get to a point where you can say, all right. 
let's talk to 16 manufacturers for 16 different sensing mechanisms right. and have them all agree to put their custom IP onto the same die right. in the fab. It's just not going to happen. Like that, that is something that you would have to broker uh, a nearly a trillion dollar deal for. Right. And all of that is, yeah, I, I getting it down to the price where it's a kid's toy, I don't yeah. see that as plausible. I really I mean, don't. And, and, you know, there might even be some other shit in there that might be doing, like, some IR spec and stuff like that, or UV Viz as a uh, I, didn't, I didn't see anything that looked like they were doing that. But then again, they well, do I have mean, That's fairly compact so that you can do that with. That, that's, well, UV not Viz? That not that they're necessarily, yeah, UV Viz. Yeah, there's not a huge no, amount of data here either. I mean, we'll have to wait till they actually do the long term. We're talking about, like, look, it used to be that you needed to have a fiber op and you needed to have a carefully calibrated sensor that was susceptible to you hitting the side of a beaker. I got to go ahead and learn on instruments like that. But it turns out that in the modern world, we have LEDs and photovoltaics. <laughs> and you don't have to deal with, okay. you don't yes. have to deal with necessarily having an interface yes. for Yes and no. We we do have things that, that if you want that. accurate, you need to do microcentimeter spectrometry. Right. So so if you wanna if you wanna do IR spec, gamma spec, or UV spec, and all of these are different wavelengths of light. Which uh, gamma spec would be for the rad world side. UV right. is higher. I've already gone up to UV viz. I haven't gotten to gamma yet. Gamma's get well. Thank it, God for that. Apparently, <laughs> that's the best. Uh, gamma spec is really expensive. Like you basically got to lint yeah. shield everything, and then and you, you also have to deal with the fact that you're actively fucking up the stuff you're trying to study. No, no, it just it just emits it. Now okay, you might you're talking about emitters. Okay. You might be talking about X-ray. Uh, X-ray. Uh, what is it called? Oh, it's crystallography, X-ray diffractography. There's I've, I've done with I've done wax and sacks. Hmm. I have not gone beyond X-ray though. And, and I wouldn't call wax and sacks necessarily uh, a form of spectroscopy so much as it is, as it is crystallography. So, so typically X-ray analysis is bombarding it with something. I think it's usually like a gamma, a low-energy gamma, knocking out the inner K-shell electron and then well, sitting there and finding the relaxation energy of what replaces it. Typically what you'll do for the kind of stuff I'm talking about, just just because, what I, like I said, what I'm talking about is not is the closest analog is Vermont backscattering. Um, uh, that, that, that is still spectroscopy, but that is that is close to what I'm talking about here. Mm. Wide angle and small angle, so wax and sacks, X-ray scattering, is the stuff I was talking about. So that is akin, instead of having it go back directly to you, it will deflect off the surface towards the detector on the other side of the sample. Mm. So small angle is is when it comes in at a shallow angle. And wide angle is when you have a much wider range of angles that you shoot shit at it. But it's always going to be within 0 to 90. Got it. So, so wide so angle is more of the 0 to 90. Small angle is, like, within the first, like, one degree. And all of that's going to be determining what the actual energy imparted into the electron is. And, yeah, it gives well, you... It's, it's very much about structure more than it is about the specific spectra of the material. Well, the, the specific structure, the, the spectra of the material will tell you what the structure is. Yeah, so, so you'll see, like, um, for, a, for a regular crystal pattern, you'll see uh, four-fold, six-fold, uh, 12-fold, um, uh, eight-fold symmetries. You'll never see in a regular crystal five-fold or ten-fold, but you will see that in a quasi-crystal. 
But if for regular crystalline items, for other items, what you'll largely see is the orientation of the material, and that comes out of the intensity of the form uh, with respect to angle of approach, both in the azimuthal direction and the polar direction. So you can see that the sample's on a little turntable. It'll, it'll rotate around, and you can get the different angles of approach. And then the, the source can uh, be moved up and down, kind of. So small angle is advantageous because you don't have to move it very far, so it kind of... You just kind of tilt the sample more than you move the uh, thing. But the wide angle, the detector has to be much larger. Hmm. And somehow my wife turned the friggin' temperature up to 90 degrees. <laughs> Fucking hell. Like, <laughs> what the actual fuck is that? Was that two days ago when it mattered, or was it today? I don't know. I don't know. I, I just walked by the nest, and the nest... It might have just like, been something I was forgotten. I saw this huge spectrum. I'm like, maybe... I don't know, maybe I bumped... Oh! She moved the vacuum handle, and that must have spun it. Oh, there you go. It was resting... That vacuum handle was resting against the... Yeah, that's, that's quite ridiculous, honestly. <laughs> Why that don't you have a lock on that thing? That would be a little crazy. Well, unlike you floating... Like where you have to tap the front and say, like, Hey, Nest, I'm here. Also, why would you I have mean, one of those? Because it's amazing. And pretty. Uh, I mean, I had an Amazon Alexa when I was uh, when I was at the last place I was at because I knew I wasn't gonna fucking stay there. Yeah, well, yeah the like if day, you know you're not staying, that's one thing. Yeah, that's like, precisely why there, I dude. got it. I got it because I had the time and opportunity to explore it while I still had a way of getting the fuck away from it. I have a wife who really likes home automation, mm-hmm. so and you can do all that kind of shit by yourself in your own home with no contact with an external server. If I'm not mistaken, aren't you an engineer? Oh, that's Me? low. What he's, is, a nu- what is, he's a nuclear engineer. Don't be that guy. What does me having be an engineer have to do with the fact that I have a wife? Oh, I'm sure you could engineer a solution to the problem. Yeah, I could. You could engineer another I could, wife. I could also engineer that. another wife. I could engineer a solution, but while you gentlemen do not have the pleasure of regular access to actual natural pussy... I do, and I really like that. And if the compromise is having a CIA listening device in my house so that they can sure. listen to me fuck my wife three times a week, Your dog I don't does not count. <sighs> listen, mister. Have you been sheltering champ? Oh, shit. Oh. oh. Uh, that, that, that did not mean... <laughs> yeah, he gives, he gives too much teeth. Yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> now, now Biden might have the appropriate number of teeth. Oh, shit. I'm sure, uh. I'm sure that guy gums it a little do you, bit. Do you, think, do you think he has dentures, or do you think he has them bolted in? Ooh, that's a tough question. Oh, no, no surgical screws, absolutely. They might have come out, sl- they might have come out uh, at a slow enough pace for him to just get those full dental implants. You know, I'm sure he's had plenty of money from getting that. Well, I mean, um, that's what Hunter got, so, I mean, I'm sure his dad got that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Oh, look, all my little minis are done for my 3D prints. Did you guys want to do the uh, George Floyd trial, or, or do we want to stay away from that? Do what? Sorry. I don't know the if there's George much Floyd to really trial. get into until it's kind of done. Well, it's just yeah, I, I want to kind of reserve judgment on it, but from the shit I've seen so far, you know, like uh, starting off with Mama and coming out, so I think it's today, where... Where like the police just kind of the, the ER person flat out said, yeah, fentanyl could have done it, and uh, 
Yeah, it's like, so, yeah, he was uh, going yeah, into like cardiac arrest when I, when I looked at well, him, the, and then the, the two like angles the, the heel was in the thing. shoulder blade instead of the neck, that kind of yeah. shit. Yeah, so at this point, it's kind of, in my opinion, better to just wait until we, until yeah, we can I, break it down afterwards, because I don't know. I want to see what the really jury says at the end, um, that and what too. the judge says. Fair, fair enough. I, I mean, if you've got something you'd like to add, feel free. The, the only thing that was really a surprise to me, like, I, you know, a lot of these things, whether – first off, you know, when I watched the video, I did not think that the knee was on the neck. Uh, also, coming from an ENT perspective, I honestly – I don't believe it just because you don't have many fingers of space between your neck and your shoulder blade. Uh-huh. Uh, you really don't. You Typically, most people are somewhere between three and four fingers of a hand, and that's uh, a lot less than a knee. So, at worst case scenario, if you were resting typically on the back of the jaw and the actual shoulder itself, it wouldn't have been a, a compression hold. And we've, I think we've talked a little bit about, like, some of the precursor, but the stuff that really surprised me was the amount of drugs in his system. Oh, like, shit. Yeah, when you saw, finally saw that coroner's report? Yeah, yeah, because they pulled that. I tried, to pull the actual, I tried to pull the actual values, but it was, like, 11 nanograms per, yeah, per milliliter. Nuts. Or yeah, something like that. It's, it's that is, that kind is of multiple times. Kind of amazing the the uh, dose there. Even even if you are a heavy user, that is yeah, a that's, bad that's dose. A lot. That's a lot. And and to be very clear, right? Like I've now, had, and, and that was the, what was it the admission that he had to, that the the guy in the car made him swallow all the pills before he got out or whatever. I I don't know if that happened. I know the ju- they had. They I had do know that that guy pleaded the fifth and, and got, said like, he the, was not going to testify. They, they have body cam footage that was allowed where it was physically shown that he had a tablet in his mouth and that he swallowed it. And that after that, people were like, well, why is everybody all – why are they making a big deal out of his drug years? You're like, well, because he did a lot of fucking I'll, drugs. I mean, that right there says that maybe he could have – he should have, like, had he immediately gone to the hospital after, you know, saying, hey, guys, I took something. Yeah, yeah. He would have been under arrest, but, like, at least he would have been in a hospital well, instead I, of dead. I mean, the, the difficulty is that, like, so so I was an EMT. The difficulty is I'm not going to touch him until the police have him fully restrained. Yeah, that was and the other thing is that – He was not cooperating. That one, that one woman, the, the fire uh, firefighter woman they had in there from uh, that was off duty that day. Yeah. Like, she, she had a really fucking – Lost her for a second there. By standard yeah, what? procedure, you don't touch – you don't interfere with the other uh, first responders. You don't. They, the cops go in first. Yeah. They secure the scene, and you know basically it comes out, and nobody likes to talk about it, but it comes out during your training that if they are dead by the time you get there, that is that is so be it. But it is better them than you, and that's really what it comes yeah. down to. Because you don't want to create, you know, the, the standard rule of, of yeah, protect yourself. Is not protect yourself. Don't put yourself in a. Don't make two patients when you already have one. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So you never, you never do that. So it was that, and then it was the uh, the amphetamine plus the the thing. So what a lot of people oh, may not yeah. remember is uh, back in the '90s, it was a very popular thing. I'm sure that both Craig, actually, probably all three of us had it when we were in school. Is Dare was talking about speedballs, which back yeah. then was heroin and cocaine. Right. But nowadays, the modern equivalent would be meth and. Um, Fentanyl, and basically Ooh. this does a push-pull effect. Yeah, if you want to talk about a speedball, that's a that's a fucking fast one. Yeah, right. cocaine speedball. I mean, that was that was something. I can't say I ever tried one, but I've heard some folks say some stories. But I mean, Jesus. So, so what it does? Christ. What it does is you take the stimulant and you take the the depressant, 
and the stimulant accelerates your heart rate. It increases your body temperature, so you're consuming more sugars. You need to get more oxygen. And then you take the depressant, and the depressant slows your respiratory system, which results in a buildup, uh, a decrease in overall oxygen, and a buildup of overall carbon dioxide within your system at a much higher rate than you would have with either of those drugs normally. Well, here's, here's the other side of this that, that is relevant from what I saw with the video and the coroner's report. This guy was post-COVID. His lungs were three times the weight they should have been because they were still inflamed. And it doesn't matter how they maintained that mass. The fact that they were three times the weights that they're supposed to be and thickened up, like, hard to flex. Well, you know what? We can actually take the man's own words. When he was sitting in his van, he said, I can't breathe. Yeah, and he probably wasn't lying. So his lungs were again three times the mass was supposed to be, and it's because of fluid buildup. They were turgid at autopsy. They were hard to flex, so they were rid- they're fairly rigid. And that means that he had a really hard time breathing without drugs. Um, so it's kind of, with the amount of shit he had in his system, it's kind of a miracle he wasn't dead in the car already if he didn't take anything before he got out. Yep. But I, that that was the, the thing that I wanted to just go over was the amount of drugs. I was really surprised by how much was in the system. Yeah. Like, cause you're, you're getting this conflicting report from the family that's saying drugs have nothing to do with it. And then the coroner's report was, was originally – well, that, that was what they came out with saying, oh, well, yeah. motherfucking minis keep breaking. Oh, and, and then there's there's uh, his, his girlfriend, which confirmed all the all yeah. the drug shit. Then her name was Mama, so it could have easily been, especially given the proximity to the last overdose and who he called to get him into the hospital. He yep. easily could have been calling for her to help him out, get yeah, his ass possibly. to the hospital. Yeah, basically I, everything I, I, that comes I, I, out just ends up being much no. more complicated than it needs to be. And I still so, believe yeah. he... Cause I, you know... He was a mama's boy. I totally believe that. You know, it sucks what it is, but uh, that's what it was. He's dead. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, the uh, the thing that's really surprising is how people are trying to play the uh, the uh, trying to ignore the drugs as a complicating factor, as well as all of the. Uh, I mean, I, I get that there's emotions, all of that runs high, but you know. Now we have the, the film camera that shows that it doesn't look like the D was on his actual neck, which was kind of what it looked like to me because it actually looked like he was popping a squat on the dude. Um, yeah, that's the thing. Is like I've, I watched the original video. You know, I watched all, all almost nine minutes of it. That, that sucked. Yeah, that yep. definitely was not a highlight of the day. Yep. And I saw that this guy had a knee on him. And I look at it, like if the guy could breathe, like he could breathe enough to say shit. And that's, that's the thing that a lot of people, I think, don't understand is that if you're talking, you're breathing. And he, he, he also, like, he was breathing enough to talk. He was conscious enough when he was to talk at that time. Yep. The cop clearly was being, in my opinion, was being negligent and not checking on him to the point where he could determine whether or not he could remove pressure and, uh, and wow. lessen the restraint. But that's, that's not here or there with the way that he died. Uh, it, I think that. After that, when I found out about the the COVID and the drugs, it was kind of case closed for me. 
the the thing that I don't understand is is you can't really it's not easy to check to see whether there's no like okay he's well, had a pulse given up. is kind of important you know yeah but I mean and you can sneak a finger under your leg at the end of the day like if you're actually trained as a first responder they you know a couple them. things well they did they did but I mean when you're trained as a first responder you know a people lie and that's yeah. unfortunate he could have been that's, playing possum but if he did that with his heart he's really fucking good at it. Well, I mean, it, it all depends on on how often you can actually get the uh, get the check in. Right. right. Nine minutes. I think struggling it is hard. A lot of people think nine minutes is a really long time. It's not. Well, and here's the thing. It, it kind of is for for emergency services though, because the people that were called in as uh, for emergency service that day, the, the medical team that was called in, they went to the wrong place first, and then they had the time to turn around and come over. Yeah, there's that. If they'd have gotten there on time, then maybe the whole thing might have been a completely different outcome. It would have been five minutes instead of nine. He would have been alive at the time they showed it. I mean, way to the hospital. Yeah, they would have had drugs right there that they could have. I mean, they could have uh, definitely administered some of the things they needed to administer. That might have helped. Done some things, but like the problem is, the problem is that when it comes to drugs, like the only thing that they have that can pull them out of an overdose is Narcan. That's the only thing. And that can only pull him out of an opioid overdose because he had everything else in his system. Yeah, his heart was he, gonna blow out. It was he was gonna explode. I mean, like that's if you, if you pulled out if you pulled out the Narcan, that would have easily allowed him to go into overdrive. That was too much. And right. his 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 lungs, like it had they intubated him and got him on assisted breathing immediately, and then put the Narcan but, in it, maybe. But you can't you can't intubate somebody unless they're unconscious. Yeah. That's that's much. the matter is like, and this is this is one of the things that I think a lot of people don't understand is you can't take action until they are basically out. If he's sitting there screaming and shit about this shit, yeah, you're not, you're not, not gonna feed a, a tube down his nose. Yeah, uh, and and I mean you you still wouldn't be able to right because if he's well, he screaming, wouldn't do, and he's he wouldn't be able to do positive pressure. If he's screaming and he's conscious, that means that a first off you're never gonna trach him. Like you only trade yeah. people when their when their thing is, is closed when, yeah. when they're choking. So if he is conscious and he is he is being combative, trying to escape or being whatever, right? You don't go in. You don't go in. Like if I was an EMT, I would not have gone in. I would have let the cops do their thing, and I would have been one of those other officers standing there on the side. And the reason is because if I walk up to him, and the cops think they have him calm, and I can start my treatment. All he'd have to do is turn around, grab a gun, grab a taser, grab something else, and all of a sudden there's a whole bunch more victims on the round. And you know, that's, you do lie about it all the time, and that's that's the sad part is that the, the, the cops have to make that well, call, and that's not an easy job. Here's the fucked up thing is it's, it's also plausible, you know, assuming the EMTs were on time, et cetera, too. But have they just tased the guy? That would have come. And if they just rendered him unconscious... The problem is that the taser. Uh, that's the part where it's a difficulty. Is he was in such a, a yeah. What would a taser state. have done to him at that time it would in have, that state? It would have I think it might have stopped his heart. It's right. entirely possible. Yeah. Like that, that's one of the things that I think is kind of, and I tried making this argument early on in this whole entire thing. To me, it looks like there was nothing that could be done. Yeah, sorry. It kind of looks that way. It really kind of does. It looks like this was kind of a perfect storm for uh, for Mr. Floyd. Right at, at the end of the day, and, and I've I've seen you know like if you watch Tim Pool, he's like I feel so sympathetic to people who are addicts. I don't have that sympathy. Uh, we actually we're 
my wife and I are probably going to have to deal with one of her family members who is uh, an sure. addict. Yep. Yeah, no it's, it's going to be a fun road. Well, I, so um, a buddy of mine, so it's actually a guy who turned his life around, thankfully, later on, but uh, he died definitely before his time uh, for other reasons. Uh, he spent a number of years with drug addiction problems yep. and was able to turn his ass around. He, after basically everybody had given up on his ass, he went ahead well, and he uh, rock bottom, I'm going to the military. I mean, power power to you if right. you can do that. But then, then, there's, it, then there's people who are just users. Right, and, and I mean, like, you oh, know, it, I know that she, she took my Adderall, like a fresh script of Adderall. Hell no. Um, and apparently she just recently stole her sister's pain pills after her surgery. Mm. So, like, we're, we're having, we're going to have to, we don't know what to do. Like this is the, the addiction is hard. The only the only actual you gotta care find a way to either get her into a place or you gotta you gotta tell her get you done. Well, the the problem is that the rehab doesn't work because you go back to the same environment. The only effective oh, yeah, strategy is to actually well rehab can work, but it anything well, it can work them, because you have to have a person that wants to heal first. If well, you get someone into rehab, if you get someone into rehab, the first thing that it does is it gets them out of the action environment where they're going to cause problems and gets right. them between problems, which is uh, when you can actually implement a change of location or other kinds of things like that. And, and I think the only strategy that I've seen that works fairly well is a change in location, specifically to dry counties where there's no, there's no way to go back into it. Yeah. And they have to be willing to go through that change. And I know somebody who, who uh, you know, I, I have a friend of mine, his brother, went through the whole process. They sent him out to spend a lot of money to try to get him clean, um, but it was a heroin addict back in the day, and and he did. They sent him out, I think, to Washington State uh, for six months in some sort of super fancy rehab, and then that moved him to a halfway house in Utah, which is Mormonville, but it's pretty much a dry state. And then once he was in the, the halfway house in the dry state, he could never really he never really went back to alcohol or booze or anything else. He was able to get himself a job, and he basically, you know, he would limit his time with his family because whenever he flew back to come see them, uh, every single day was a risk uh, yeah. being being in that same environment where he would go back and touch base with his friends who were still doing drugs. Yeah. So that's that's the only way I've seen it successful. I mean, I that's, get that's the thing I see that might come out of this trial might be something useful for the family if they're actually if they're legitimately at this point now still seeking closure uh are certain that that's still the case i i mean it, it sounds like this drug dealer basically killed him yeah it's like if, if he had to take pills before he got out of the vehicle and that was the thing but the only reason, like, I could think of a judge not admitting that as evidence in a civil trial is to prevent double jeopardy for a criminal trial. Well, I mean, you, uh, you have, well, the thing is, yeah, if well, I, I this falls apart, I don't think that's what the judge is doing, but like, that's the most reasonable excuse in my mind that he might do that. Yeah. Well, and as I was about to say, if this does fall apart, the charges with Chauvin, then they can immediately fall on him. I mean, that guy. Well, it sounds like they need to. Yesterday, like, yeah, they well, probably I mean, already they, should I have. Think, yeah, lest they want their fucking city to burn, but it already did it. once. Like that guy, that guy needs to be in prison regardless. But like, I think there's a, a pretty good case if that testimony was true, uh, and for a criminal proceeding to go against him for second degree murder. Certainly. Yeah. Well, I Absolutely. don't know. Really not premeditated, but definitely like a crime of passion kind of sense. There, it's well, definitely one of those. Yeah, at, no, I, least, I at least a voluntary manslaughter. 
the the actual um, I think it's third is what. Uh, okay, I, you know I yeah let me re- let me move back a step there. He didn't intend to kill him at the time. Right. So right. manslaughter serves the third degree. But I mean, yeah, they, he should definitely be in prison for murder. I think. I'm I'm not uh, I'm not seeing much in the way of like coming out against Chauvin. I used to be like super anti-cop. Um, but at the same time, I, well, I, I so it's it depends. Like the thing is, everybody can always say like I'm super anti bad cop, but like it's so it's not the police themselves necessarily, but the the things that are that can be permitted to be done that are beyond the purview of their function, which are act which use them as a tool of the state to do something immoral or illegal or unconstitutional. Versus necessarily cops in general being yeah. bad people. Like they're well, they're usually out. The vast majority of them are there to help you. Yeah, they, and they are. Uh, they really are, and, and it sucks that they get skewed by the, the few people. Like Chauvin's not a good cop. Record, he's not a good cop. He's an uh, yes, I do believe he's a that. Power tripping asshole. He gets moved from precinct to precinct. He gets moved from precinct to precinct to erase his problems. Like a goddamn kitty diddling priest. So we can always we can put that out the window at the onset there. But he probably didn't murder the guy. Yeah, I'm I'm in kind of a similar situation with this. Like I'm I'm really not a fan of cops. I'm not a fan of the guy himself. But I mean, I really don't. I don't know how much culpability he really has at the end of the day for the death of George Floyd. I I could I could see a negligence argument to a certain degree, but again, I don't know if it fully qualifies there. I think there's a much better argument to go after the guy who pushed pills on him right before he he died. Like if he really if it Certainly. was really the case that he got told chug these now, I'm not going to prison or whatever. Yep. Like I think that's a case for third. I I mean even though even though like. I think I think based on the levels that were in his blood, he had to be doing more than just that round of pills that he yeah. imbibed. It, it couldn't have just been the ones that made him and his girlfriend feel kind of extra stimulated and back before his his overdose immediately before he died. Like right. his, his overdose immediately before that day, so yep. the, the one that he went to the hospital for. It couldn't it like it couldn't have just been that if he got pushed those pills and the drug dose like. Yeah, man, I still got these. And then in the car, he says, "Oh shit, take these now. I can't it, go back or whatever." And by the way, when it comes down to oh, addicts, when it comes down to addicts, a lot of them will sit there and try to like, if they're up too much, they'll go get drugs to bring them down. Yeah. And when they're down, they'll go get drugs to bring them up. And I, I knew um, we had a girl at uh, one of the jobs that I worked at who was very much of that lifestyle. And she walked in, she'd had, like, God knows what the night before, but she basically crashed in the back, and she couldn't manage to pull herself out of the tailspin she was in, so she disappeared for about 30 minutes, came back, went into the bathroom, and was perky and happy and everything else for the rest of the day. Yep. And that's, like, there's there's people that, that will sit there and, like, oh, I'm too high, I'm hell. down. Like, I knew someone... Briefly, because I, so I was visiting my friends down in Orlando. Uh, I was I was going. I was up here at UF. Um, I was visiting, and we had you know we had when I go down there and visit, we'd usually go out and have you know we'd have beers where we go to someone's place and get ourselves hammered. And, and there was this one girl. 
she was a fucking mess. Uh, like she, you know, I was helping take care of her with another that day. That's it. Like just alcohol, not even fucking water. And this this retard is puking up parts of her stomach lining into mm. a into a uh, yeah into a um, one of those little Ziploc containers uh, for you know the little food containers. It's like puking up. I could see her fucking clear liquid because again she just had alcohol that day. Oh man! And I just I looked there. It's like you realize that will kill you. Your parts of you are coming out. And then she went to the bathroom. She came out and she was all kinds of excited again. Uh. Yeah. And so she took something. And so the the friend I, t- I mentioned before who had some drug problems was there at the time and. Pretty sure that's where that came from. Yeah, that's that's not somebody that's going to last a long time. Yeah, I, I have no idea what happened to her. My guess is that she uh, she ended up on the street or something, or hell, she might end up you know happy with a family and so on. But I, I really doubt it. Well, I, I mean, and and I know that the girl that I was talking about, like she decided to put herself on like a gold digger website, literally yeah. it's like golddiggers.com oh or whatever. So she just she just kind of wanted to be taken care of. or sugar sugar what is it sugardaddy.com sugar right yeah so she she's okay with with uh, she was very much okay with doing what she had to do to okay. have a stimulus in a spending account well uh-huh. there you go I guess so I mean I, I I get it addicts have problems it's a really difficult thing I don't think we have adequate protections or an adequate system within our our, our our system of governance. And that's something that I think that we could work on improving and should work on improving. But I, I struggle to draw the line where I'm supposed to be sympathetic to a cause when an individual is like perpetually getting themselves arrested for drugs and never pulling themselves out of the so inevitable thing is It's a gradient and, and you kind of have to pick your battles. That's why I, I usually like for these kinds, especially for these kinds of things, like I won't do, I won't like give to a charity for this kind of shit. I'll just, help people on the side. Yeah. Direct help is the best help you're going to get for these kind of situations. That's yeah. the complete truth. You know, if you're and helping it's, other... it's unfortunate, but you the can't The only way you can help indirectly with something like that is with places that do one-for-one needle exchanges and do methadone yeah, that programs. Kind of stuff. Yep. That kind of stuff. You're not going to so do... Like, that's the thing is, is I... When people... So, in California, it's it's horrific because of this. But they're... When they don't do one-for-one and they just hand them out like candy, the problem just balloons. And and these people will their lives to spiral down with them. Yeah. Because yep. that's, that, that is what makes them feel secure oftentimes, that they've made good decisions there. They can at least ignore their bad decisions if they have people who are doing it with them to defuse the blame. And then, of course, well, yeah, that, that's, you know, that's it's its own again, spiral. All like enablers are just reasons why... The only effective way to handle the situation is literally moving away from it, preferably yeah. to a dry county. Like, that is the only thing that is ever shown in the literature to have an effect. 12-step programs don't work. Rehab doesn't work. Therapy doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, well, like, right. I said, you do, like I said at the beginning, the only thing that, uh, that an addict can do is not want to be an addict anymore. You yeah. really have to want that. Yep. The I'm only other way is not having just like you say. Yep. Yep. I mean, those are your two options. Everything, everything else, 
if they if they aren't willing to sit there and make their own changes. And that's that's where I struggle with this case because there's clearly a lot of drugs. It's been habitual drug behavior. I, I you know they they're is that a shame that a, a, he died? Yeah, but I mean at the same time because of the drugs that were in his system because of the amount of drugs that were in his system i see the death as inevitable and should i be sympathetic in that case and i struggle with that i really do like i i, I oh, yeah. firmly believe that god helps those who help themselves and that's not in like a, a selfish uh motif but the bottom line is i i whenever it comes down to somebody seeking sympathy for me always taking a look at all of the extraneous uh, factors, you know, what did they do to get into their situation? Because I struggle to believe that I, as an individual, should pay for the mistakes of other people with the resources that I gained from not making those same mistakes. Well, Especially when the path is laid out at the beginning. So that's, that's the thing where you have to... That's the kind of charity aspect of it, though, is, is, is putting in the time and effort to make... It's, a, it's 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 kind of uh, it's kind of part of the idea of leaving the world better than you found it, but it's more to it than that. It's it's a selfish form of altruism. Well, there comes a time if, when if you've you don't done make, a little you don't, bit too much. If you don't help the people around you to kind of keep keep a certain standard of living that you want, see, and that's, you don't have to, you don't I, have I to be the only person who does it. I, well, I, I, and that's where I disagree. Is at the end of the day, I believe that well, it's that a broader environment than your own home, yeah. right? It's, you gotta, you, you gotta yeah. cut bait. Is, is in short what my, oh, yeah. my world there's, view there's is. That. Everybody's gonna have to have a threshold. Everyone has a different threshold. Right. That. But the point is, like, if, if if you're going to environment around you that you know, a certain standard you want to live to that extends beyond your front door. Oh, and, and that's true. And you've yeah. got to you got to be part of maintaining it. And so that's that's the part where you know if, if I'm gonna help out with stuff like that, I just help. I'm not gonna pay someone and, else to do it. For and, me. and I I agree with that. Uh, you know I I don't think charities do a particularly good job for the most part. Like there's some that do good, but like like, all the, like and a lot of those kitchens, uh, the poorhouse kitchens, that just or the soup kitchens, they do great. Yep. Yep. Uh, and that's, go but and that's pretty much well. like their overhead is very very low. They rent exactly. a really cheap space in a really cheap neighborhood. They're putting together the yeah, world's shittiest food. Yeah, they're putting the world's shittiest food together with a whole bunch of people who don't necessarily want to be there. Yeah, right. but, but again, a lot they of people would have no food otherwise. So right. it, it keeps them from going and finding food in places that would basically crap up your surroundings. And, and so I do the end for you. I support I support the food shelters like and I you know we donate food every year uh, right. we tend to we tend to donate we usually do like the sponsor a child thing is one of the things one of the charities you know, if, if I'm leaving a, a bar and and so on and I you know, like hit up a, a hole in the wall pizza place and yeah. I happen to see a guy sitting there you know I might walk up and say hey man what, you know can I get you a slice see that I that I don't do. That I don't do. I believe very firmly that so the fastest way to increase homelessness and poverty is to pay for it, quite literally. Plus, so here's the important so, distinction. I don't tell them, hey, man, do you want a 20 to get a pizza? Because I know that's going to get spent on alcohol or drugs. I, like, I, that, even that is, so. That is very much the, the, the important thing there is if I'm already, like, if I basically got a pizza and I'm like, all right, I'm about to leave here, and there's a guy there, I'm like, oh, he looks hungry and whatever. Eat. Help out. Like, it's not every time. You I don't want to say, cap the body. 
I, I actually don't, don't disagree with that. I know I've done similar things myself. You know, if I've got leftovers from a uh, from a place. I, that that's the problem that I have is the captive population. And yes. if you go out to Boulder, Colorado, right? So when you, oh, you okay, see the, that's uh, very different there. When you when you see South Park and they do their episode on homeless people, yeah, yeah, that's it's true. A real serious problem yeah. in Boulder, Colorado. Yeah, that's very much different than than fucking Florida. But, well, and we've come full circle back to Colorado where they have voter ID laws. With all the have, all the insane shit that we do in this town for homeless people. I think it was listed as the number ten out of the top ten uh, places that are that are sorry top that out of the the ten least friendly to homeless people cities in the country. I think Gainesville was number ten one year. I don't know fucking how because they like take over certain parts of town. Well, and that that's kind of the thing is is that up here where I'm at, and actually in a lot of the places that I've lived, they have homeless cabals. Yeah. They work specific street corners. Yeah, and they all have like their iPhones. They do. They basically work street corners like it's a yeah, job. If I see a guy right. with a phone hanging out who's, who's homeless, I'm, I'm my my intuition is they have an income. So so my 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 view is always that you know if you want something, I I am a capitalist to my core. If you want something, pay for it or provide resources to it, and that includes homelessness. So I would like to see more soup kitchens. But I don't necessarily want to see more homeless people, because that way at least the soup kitchen will yeah. like there's there's, oh, there's a degree of separation between me and them. So here's here's one of the places in town requires them to engage in effort. One of the places in town um, that does that does homeless outreach, uh, and this is I, I bet you this is one of the reasons why we're the uh, we're at number ten out of the ten least uh, friendly to homeless people. One of these places in town is basically. Um, they will offer you a suit. They will offer you a place. To... They will offer you career counseling, and they will offer you free food, provided you go to the interviews they set up for you. Hmm. Ah. Well, that's not actually that's all that unaccommodating. Good. And I, as you I, might I, guess, very few people take them up on the offer. Well, and that was. I, that I can believe that also. Is... So it's a relatively small operation because not every homeless person is looking for this. Uh, it, it, when when I was in Massachusetts, a lot of the Massachusetts shelters were, um, you know, they were uh, substance-free shelters. And so there yeah. was this move to start saying, hey, well, let them come in with their, their bottle of booze and no questions asked. And, no. I, you know, again, I struggle with that because if you do that. That one is a big no. <laughs> yeah. No, like, shelters and, and need to. Uh... About the homeless population, when we start talking about the addicts. Yeah, there's a lot of mental illness that goes into that, and sure. that you know that's one of the reasons why I, I think that it was a mistake to close down the asylums because we did create wholeheartedly agree appropriate treatment. I, I can't believe we did that. It, it was the uh, you know the I, humane thing to do was to keep them in place like that where they at least kept from harming themselves. And, and like I get it, for right? instance, I get it. the uh, Nation of Islam guy from just this last week, <laughs> like he needed help. Yeah, and he would he have was, gotten it at one point. But, Instead, I mean, he goes and rams a barricade and kills a guy yeah. and gets himself killed. And there was there was that uh, the kid who did the who was the shooter in Texas, right? Like that kid had a mother who was uh, he was a, a, he was a, a what is what's the name for him? He was a autistic kid. What SSRI? His mother was a substance abuser. He you know he had they turned around and referred him to that to such a program. 
he probably would have gotten treatment and care and counseling, and maybe yeah. they could have weaned him into a position where he was going out in the real world but still had a place that was controlled and safe for him to go home to. And, and I get, like, if you go through the history of the asylums, yes, there were some that were bad, but the majority of it was, like, grossly overblown, and that was that is oh, yeah. one of the biggest downsides is that instead of creating a safe environment for these people to live and where we can send people who need to get clean, now all of a sudden the, the cost of addiction, the cost of mental illness is foisted off on the families. And, and the general public. Like, and the yeah, general well, public. We don't, we don't have resources to handle We were basically paying a lower cost to handle a significant problem. Yep. Um, and, 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 and if I'm going to be honest, I think this topic in and of itself is almost worthy of its own full show because, I mean, it's going to take us at least an hour or two to really get into what sort of horrible damage has been done to mental health in general just by the destruction of mm. asylums. I mean, that's a lot of homeless. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, these people, we used to take care of these people. Homeless. Well, and I mean, you, you gotta you gotta think of it as like it used to be oh poor thing for mental illness. Now we treat it as if it's you know it comes with a social stigma, and so even people who are functional with meds like say antidepressants, well, you know, I, I invite they are face the fear of telling that to their employer. And I invite both of you guys, um, you know, and hopefully he doesn't get pissed at me for airing this because I'm probably not gonna be upset about. It. He tells most people. Uh, like I invite both of you guys to talk to Max about a family member of his uh, in, the, in the other Discord server. Um, ask him about his brother. Hmm. Uh, I suppose I'll have to do that at some point. Yeah. It's it's a shit story and all, but like you know, he's out there somewhere. I mean, if you want to talk about like going back to the original, the original, the originator of the topic, right, <laughs> Mr. Floyd there, if he'd had a treatment center that he could walk into and be taken care of, this might not have happened, right? If if that's we a real have, possibility as well. Well, had the hospital held him for an extra day or two. Yeah. Even that. And I mean, I mean this precious resource, but even still. Well, I mean, it, the 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 problem when it comes down to the hospitals is they. That is the most expensive way to handle the problem. It is. No, I, and, look, I, embedded and, enough in that, that is an extremely expensive way to handle the problem. And this is, this is again, why the asylums were a public good. Well, we had these things. They were cheap facilities. Could have referred them to the mental hospital. So, you know, you don't have to keep them in an in a, um, ICU, um, ICU bed or, or in a, a standard um, inpatient bed. Like, you could turn they them still, to a mental hospital but then again, you can only get a seventy-two, what, a seventy-two hour hold, at least in this yeah, state. Yeah, it's it's pretty. That's pretty normal for everywhere. A seventy-two yeah. hour involuntary hold. Yeah, that's so the that, maximum that's, that you can do. And if they get a seventy-two hour hold on on every addict who comes in with a fucking OD, then every know. single hospital bed would be full, and there's nothing right. like we wouldn't be able to render care. It's it is a screwed up situation. Yeah. It is a screwed up situation. Well, you know, you know, here's the funny thing though, is if you added more beds, if you made it, if you just built another wing and added more beds for just the psych area that would take care of addicts specifically, you wouldn't even need necessarily more doctors if you're just trying to keep people there for a few days. You just need a fuck ton more orderlies. Well, to keep your asses inside a bed. Well, I mean, it, 
make sure they're alive. Because don't forget, right? Like, you would need to, if you wanted to do a proper addiction thing, again, you have to relocate them, right? So what you'd have to do is you'd have to go to dry counties. You'd have to get them to sign off on building a ward, and you could dry them out in a hospital or something like that for a few days. But then they'd have to get shipped out there, and then you'd have to start trying to build an economy in that area. Well, here's what here's what I think is uh, is plausible in that scenario is you can offer them uh, the ability to get out after two days instead of waiting for three days. So remember, at this point, they're kind of jonesing, and this is taking advantage of a person who who could I would say could be arguably legally incapable of making a decision. But fuck mm-hmm. it at this point, just for sake of argument. Offer them after two days the ability to skip the last day certain treatment program elsewhere. I mean, but again, if they're really jonesing hard, they might take you up on that, and then you just ship them off. Well, but the, again, the problem is that the treatment programs, like addiction services, are ridiculously expensive. Yeah, and yeah, sure. and that 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 goes along with the uh, like well, we not only cheap you have way to, of handling it. Yeah. And we basically I uh, felt a lot better crack my back just there. Yeah, Sorry. Oh, lovely. Yeah, been, but we I've had a way to here. handle it, and we're no longer doing that. And it's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no. I mean, really, we might do well to actually legitimately do a whole show on that, because it is such an expansive topic. Yeah. Well, and the lack of... Uh, Lack of it and treatment in general in the world today. But, I mean, we've already gone a while, and... We have gone a while. If, if we keep on this, I mean, the show's going to be four hours, and we're already three, so let's probably go ahead and just call it for this one. Fuck me, we are three. We are at three. I will not fuck you, though. I was not asking you. Well, you Nor demanding, you. so you never we'll just leave it at that. that. <laughs> anyway... Everybody, uh, I'm Evan. Look me up at that fake guy Dan everywhere. Craig? That CraigBob99, just about everywhere. And you can try and look up Steve if you want at Ratman720, but you might not uh, get any reply at all, ever. Is that Ratman720 is the gayest man alive? Ah, is that is that what it's at? Well, you know what? That's okay, because <laughs> I don't actually sit there and check my uh, my profile all that much. Uh, that but that's Man 720 with the extra homoerotic uh, emojis in the title. Ah, uh, come on, extra homo sauce. That's what we want. It's all about the sauce. But if you've got any questions, ideas, uh, show thoughts, or anything, hit any of us up. Probably best to hit myself or Craig up since we're actually pretty active on the. You can find me for the most part on Twitter. Yeah. To be I, to be fair, I used to be much more active on Twitter, but again, I live in a magical realm where I don't get to have my phone or access to the internet, and they monitor everything. So I'm sure as fuck not going to go on Twitter. Not fair, fair. Yeah, no, that's a well. That and I mean, it's a hellscape too. So you know, it's, it's that kind is of, true. Uh, it is uh, uh, my mental health has significantly improved since I left Twitter. Yeah, if I hadn't gotten like, on there back when I was deeply broken, I would probably have lots of issues with it now. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm uh, not 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 super excited to to be there. Plus, I mean, you know, they they throttled me and 
stuff, and it requires a lot more effort to grow the account now. And though I'm really hoping, I'm really hoping DeSantis comes through and <laughs> finds a way to just fucking put the screws to these people. Uh, well, I suppose there is know. actually one quick update we can throw at the very end of this for people okay. that might be following uh, SCOTUS. The uh, hour Trump number four. <laughs> Not quite. But Clarence Thomas issued a, a dissenting opinion on the oh, um, yeah. Yeah. on a recent case about uh, Trump being uh, breaking First Amendment uh, precedent or something by blocking people on Twitter. He basically turned around and said, "You fucking hypocrites! Stop being fucking hypocrites." See it more as a Fifth Amendment issue. Um, yeah, but, it, but basically, what's happened issue. here is it's opened up the yep. door to ask the question of: Is Twitter a public? Uh, forum, and yeah, should it be, so, you know, regulated so like uh, AT and T was? Those maybe. who are looking for the the broad explanation, they sued Trump because Trump banned people, right? And they Twitter, said, hey, yeah. it's a public forum, and you're not allowing the federal government's not allowing people to blah blah participate in the in the public forum. That <laughs> went through the courts. Finally, ended up at the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court kicked it out, saying it doesn't fucking matter because he's been kicked off Facebook and Twitter anyways. And oh yeah, by the way, he's not president, so go stuff yourselves. We're not oh, wasting our time. Sued, there's people that sued him that got unblocked. Yeah, and so, uh, so, uh, Q is one of them. Now, the key the key from Thomas's decision is Thomas's yeah. decision said that if these if we are tr if you truly wanted to make the argument that these are public squares. Then we should probably regulate them as we would. Oh, like a public, public utility. utilities. Yeah, that's what he said. And yeah. then common communications, right? Like you can't you can't that turn punts, around and discriminate. That punts Section 230 in a way that it shouldn't. That sh so Section 230 is a defense someone uses in summary proceedings, and yeah, the way if that you this should challenge them is that they should be challenged under Section 230. Yeah, so they should be challenging that in court and contouring Section 230 the way fair use was contoured. The fair use doctrine is as powerful today as it is because it has been tested in court so often. Section 230 is just blanket accepted because it is codified as initialized. And instead of just, you know, putting opinions towards that, a lot of uh, judges have been afraid to do anything with it, and nobody has to proceed against it. So there's no contouring going on. There's no shaping of the legislation with case law, mm -hmm. which is what's needed. This fair use is, is also in, in legislation. It's just that the case law has overridden it to such a degree that it has certain benefits and certain weaknesses. For instance, I, you can go after someone for copy fraud because it exists. Well, you wouldn't now, be able to do it otherwise. All of that being said... A lot of a lot of conservatives are making some serious hay about Robert's decision. Uh, I don't think it was as significant as they like to claim. Well, but it's basically said it, and if you say it in it a dissenting decision, then it's it's one of those things where it, what is it? Uh, it's from fly on the wall to on the wall, right? Well, it it or, basically or from the wall it, to on the wall. It opens up a legitimate legal avenue to go yeah. fight back against Twitter and Facebook's banning of people. So and if it, if it comes day, out as a way of – as a means of legitimately going after Section 230 defenses in court, that will have the desired outcome. Mm -hmm. if, it, if, it, if people just go after Section 230 wholesale on First Amendment grounds instead of trying to contour the law appropriately, 
I don't think it's going to help as much because it's going to end up back in the SCOTUS, and they're just going to go back to the um, they're going to go back to the winning decision. Well, the, the, that's the thing is they didn't they punted they on the decision. Yeah, it, it no, either needs nuance or needs to be enforced more strictly. And they they threw out the entire they case. Threw out. They threw out the yeah. entire case. But that's not that's not to say. So they threw it out in a unique way, right? They're not sitting there. They basically threw the whole case out, right? Saying that it doesn't matter. So they didn't rule on it. They didn't rule against it. They just said it doesn't matter. Which seems to be the general trend with Supreme Court these days. Well, yeah, it's because the, the the asshole in charge of the damn thing, the chief justice, is a little bitch. Yeah, Roberts Robert, has Robert proven is, himself to be absolutely valueless. He is. He has caused so much chaos in this country from the the inability to act. Rule. Who is this? Uh, justice Roberts. Yeah, John Roberts. Chief Justice. He could have. He he was he was shrieking in. In the fucking back room about the whole uh, the whole uh, people rioting on the streets and shit. This is of course before January sixth. Uh, he could have alleviated so much pressure just by making a shitty decision. Had Trump come in with the SCOTUS, laid out evidence, and then got ruled against anyway, like he would have. It still wouldn't have been as crazy as January sixth. Yeah, if. Literally any case had actually been heard on the merits and dismissed on the merits, we would all be having a different conversation, and the world would actually be a very mm -hmm. different place right now. But that mm -hmm. has yet to happen. That would have actually given Biden the the merit behind saying something as stupid as "I want to unify the United States, uh, unify the American people," like yep. or even you the slightest modicum of legitimacy, even even just any at all, some. An extant amount for which there is none currently. <sighs> like, and the important thing is that the process was followed elsewise. Yeah, I mean, this, and the worst happened. part of this is it leaves the question open. Yeah, we shouldn't have that question open. We should know. No, it who it absolutely where, requires an answer. And well, it, here we are. and again, you know, I I don't, I don't want to say that I think that that we had we we could prove any evidence of fraud, but there were a lot of anomalies. Yeah. There's a lot of laws that were skirted. Uh, at the very least, they were skirted, if not actually broken. And, Certainly. And it'll be interesting to see around. how the Arizona case turns out that's actually going up now. Like, I bring this shit up to so, – so, like, my cousin and I will debate. What's, what's going on with the Arizona case? We'll just have I to see. I thought all the election cases were dead. So. No, they're not done. No. Really? They're still happening. That's what I was saying before. There are still some that are going, yeah. And the Arizona thing, they're actually doing a full investigation. So I I honestly think we might not be able to comment on that, depending on how it goes. Well, here's the thing is, is I don't, Until I don't know the if main media going to get anywhere because they've, like, destroyed ballots and shit. Also that. You know, if it, and then the evidence is gone, all you really have the ability to do is charge whoever destroyed the evidence. Well, I guess we'll just. What did, uh, how many ballots did they destroy? I was. There was. It actually wasn't a, that significant a number. It was, but it was in the thousands, right? I think it was like that, like twenty-seven hundred or, or more. I don't. I it actually was, don't was, know it was, in Arizona. Uh, it was Maricopa County. Um, oh, that was the one that was under suspicion. Yes, so they, it was. They, they, they fucking destroyed ballots in Maricopa County. Really? Yeah. 
Uh, did they ever? Did they ever explain why they did that? Uh, largely because fuck Republicans, I think. Mm. This was this is this is post everything else, and this is recently uh, that the that the they that the fact that they destroyed ballots came out, and this is well past the elections. Uh, yeah, and, and, and never mind. They, like, they have to keep these things for like 720 days or some nonsense like they're that. Supposed to keep it for a couple of years. Yeah, basically. So there are there are some real issues that we'll um, see some questions answered and yeah. probably more questions raised that will not receive answers and we'll all be in this electricity is in the air and the taste of blood is in our mouths and we won't really be able to do anything. So we'll see. Because that's uh, that's our answerless world of today. And boy, isn't that the perfect way to cut it at the end? So have fun, everybody. We'll talk to you again soon.